Hello, 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 America. Good evening. How is everyone doing tonight? And, uh, well, I hope you all are doing well. And happy New Year's Eve. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is New Year's Eve 2021. Who would have ever thought that we would be here, ladies and gentlemen? But nevertheless, as time moves on and progresses, so does everyone else. So you can't stop the train once it's gotten started, and uh, no one successfully stopped that train so far. Uh, but uh, yep, yeah, here we find ourselves at the uh, at the end of another year, another spin around the good old uh, soul out there, sun. For those of you who uh, can't translate, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, oh well, who would have thought, man? Uh, this year, as they usually say, went by pretty quick in retrospect, but at the same time, it had its moments. It had its moments. I think, uh, I think for most of us, uh, especially the older we get, unless it's just me, uh, we find that uh, time actually does seem to speed up quite a bit, um, regardless of what is going on in your corner of the uh, galaxy and the universe. Uh, but still, nonetheless, I do wish you all a happy New Year's Eve, and I hope everyone is doing well out there and is having a safe and festive celebration to either, what, break in the New Year or to throw out the old one. I guess it depends on whether you're a uh, cups half full or a cups half empty kind of person <laughs> on uh, how you'll be deciding um, uh, your feelings and emotions towards that. But uh, ah, who needs feelings and emotions, right? We like to deal with facts here over at the Sea Report and just a tad bit of speculation. Uh, but nonetheless, I do appreciate uh, everyone coming in for the evening uh, to uh, check out and see what's going on. Uh, we are coming to you live on this uh, Friday, December 31st, 2021. I am your host, Mr. C, as always. Uh, bringing you a brand new edition of the Sea Report. Uh, glad to be closing out the year on a Friday with uh, an episode, and we have a pretty jam-packed episode for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so uh, I would like to advise we will not be having a year-end recap show tonight. No, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about some news and headlines uh, that I think will... Uh, you know, uh, well, they kind of round out the year, I guess you could say, uh, in a manner of speaking. Uh, they kind of put, uh, or at least begin to put, a tail end or a caboose to some of the stories that we've been talking about here on the Sea Report, uh, either throughout the year or even uh, since our show's inception uh, back at the beginning of the year in February. So uh, yeah, we, start, we started the year a little bit late at the Sea Report when we got started. We got started in February. It was long about the 2nd of February. We missed January, of course, but uh, uh, that would have been fun, um, you know, uh, with the entire, you know, uh, uh, January 6th uh, false flag riots. And then, uh, of course, uh, the um, uh, sacrilegious, blasphemous, treasonous crowning of the globalists, internationals, choice president, the illegitimate joke otherwise known as Sleepy pedo Joe Biden. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's basically what uh, we would have covered in January. But um, yeah, so uh, we're almost approaching our one year here at the Sea Report as well. So that's actually a bit of excitement for myself as well. Um, and uh, well, well, we'll see where it goes from there. But for tonight, ladies and gentlemen, 
like I said, we will uh, be going through a handful of stories as well as um, a few uh, President Trump statements, as we usually do. Uh, but the uh, main dish for tonight, so to speak, um, the highlight of tonight's report will actually be talking about uh, some of the things that are going on betwixt uh, one Russia, one Ukraine, and one globalist-backed United States of America uh, regime. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, because there's been a lot of talk about Russia, 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 and Ukraine, 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 and war, war, war. Uh, but, you know, I think, um, I think the easiest, simplest view, and you know what they say, usually the easiest explanation is the correct explanation, is uh, we're just, uh, we're just uh, preparing, or being prepared, I should say, in this regard, for conflict and war. And that's all that we got going on with Russia and Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, you see the Warhawks are starting to sing their songs. And uh, you know they need a war. Those globalists, they need a war so bad right now. They need some kind of conflict. To what end? Well, I mean, we could only speculate to what end. Uh, for what reason... Well, we could speculate a little bit on that as well, uh, but we do know that under the cover of war, amidst the fog and the fire, they are able to get away with a lot of things, and uh, all the other distractions just don't seem to be working for them, you know, so uh, whether that is this uh, fake pandemic that they uh, threw at us, uh, you know, there's perspective that the entire Epstein-Maxwell thing is also uh, a type of uh, a distraction, um, uh, and the likes, you know, so, uh, why now, right? Are we seeing, um, are we seeing the call for uh, conflict coming out of Russia and Ukraine. So ladies and gentlemen, in the typical sea report fashion, we'll be offering you guys an alternate perspective on what's really going on over there on the Eastern hemisphere between these two nations and, uh, well, I guess we'll see pretty well exactly how the globalist-backed regime that currently sits in office uh, is either going to benefit or uh, going to uh, instigate as much as it can. But we'll save that for later, ladies and gentlemen. That'll come up a little bit later on in the show. I know you guys are looking forward to it. Um, but in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are live over on uh, Twitch DLive Trovo. Clout Hub, as well as the foxhole.app and pill.net. I'm going to hop on over and say a howdy-do and a happy new year to uh, the friends, family, and community over at pilled.net and the foxhole.app. Rail and on. Good evening, sir. Thank you for that uh, 117, uh, I was going to say dollars, <laughs> gold pill donation. I appreciate you, sir. And I hope you're having a great new year uh, eve so far. Joyful Lily, it's good to see you. Happy New Year's. Uh, glad to have you uh, here with us at the moment. And Skeeter Burke, my friend, Mrs. Burke, it's so great to see you. And uh, yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that about your feelings, ma'am. Your feelings I would consider. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, I would second that feelings can be somewhat overrated sometime. But uh, sometimes they're necessary, right? Uh, because after all, those feelings, well, that's where we get that gut feeling from. So uh, some of those feelings we want to pay attention to. But I don't know about those feelings, uh, you know, when you miss that trophy, 
that you so aptly deserve for showing up, right? <laughs> As is the train of uh, the train of thought and train of mind that uh, most uh, youngins these days have been put into. Good evening, one two three SKG. How are you doing tonight? Thank you for gifting the shades. I hope you're doing well. And Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year to all. Thank you for stopping in for tonight's report. Uh, like I said, we've got a pretty full report. And, uh, you know, because, you know, the thought for me today was what exactly are we going to talk about on the C-Report? Of course, we do the whole um, uh, headlines review as we're going uh, through, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of curating and uh, choosing exactly um, exactly uh, what uh, we're going to be sharing with you all. So what is on tonight's menu anyways? Uh, we're going to, uh, aside from uh, the President Trump statements that we'll be talking about, uh, we'll take a uh, brief look at an update with the uh, Durham uh, case in regards to, uh, uh, well, I mean, of course, uh, all of the foul play that went on in, uh, you know, the, the uh, President Trump years uh, and what that involves. And uh, as far as that goes, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, that's uh, it's it's not a whole lot of information. But again, it is kind of good to see that um, that story and uh, developments are still, you know, uh, being put out there for us to review, for us to know, because it took Durham so darn long to get the ball rolling. Uh, but, you know, at least we can see that something is still coming out of that. And, uh, of course, it seems like they may be narrowing in on Clinton. Uh, one of the stories that I found, uh, I found it was actually, uh, it was it was good to see this story back in the headlines. However, the uh, reason it's out in the headlines is a little bit disappointing. And that, of course, uh, would have to do with the COVID-19 nursing home death scandal uh, that broke uh, probably about over a year ago now, come to think about it, uh, when we were talking about those governators who basically signed the death warrants for uh, residences of nursing homes, rehabilitation centers, and the likes. Um, and there was a lot of scandal with that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure many of y'all do recall. In fact, that was one of the main stories that we uh, began the C-Report with. And uh, we haven't really talked about that in a long time because it seems like there had been no developments in that regard. Um, but now some new developments have broken out. And uh, so we'll be sharing that with you guys as well tonight. And uh, let's see here. Uh, pretty much after that, we're going to take off into the land of Russia and Ukraine. So get ready for that one, guys, because we've got a lot to share with y'all about Russia and Ukraine. Oh, the uh, dive I did into the articles on that um, was actually, uh, whew, it's a lot. In fact, uh, tonight's episode, uh, the stories I'll be sharing with you come from such uh, resources as Hamodia Newspaper, The National File, NewJersey.com, Medium.com, NewsPunch.com, The Washington Examiner, The World Tribune, Sputnik.com, TASS.com, the Euro Observer, Politico, ForeignPolicy.com, Melee Mail News, and Ukraine Forum Broadcasting. Ladies and gentlemen, we had to procure some of that news from overseas because naturally the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, well, they only seem to share whatever talking points they want to seem and uh, share. And you guys know 
uh, they are beholden to their talking points and it's kind of hard to get any other information. So we got to go abroad sometimes to uh, source this information and source uh, these alternate perspectives. Now, are these alternate perspectives 100% accurate and truthful? I could not tell you. Again, this is where we don't want to discount those feelings, especially in regard to the gut. But then, of course, as, uh, you know, one reads the stories and the alternate perspectives and kind of, uh, you know, uh, puts that up against uh, the uh, information that we're being fed through our media and uh, any media sources that uh, kind of get their talking points from the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy media, United States based, right? Uh, you can kind of begin to parse through uh, some of the differences here and then come to your own conclusion. And in fact, you know, I do get in trouble sometimes when I talk about, uh, you know, other nations and uh, particularly uh, in regard to those who are seen as the enemies of America. Um, and some of the perspectives I share are not always agreed upon. But again, ladies and gentlemen, this is just to present an alternate perspective with, uh, you know, a little bit more fat to chew as... Um, the majority of our uh, news outlets get swept up in a single thought or a single uh, way of seeing things. Um, we got to keep those doors of perception open, so to speak. Um, so this way uh, we can uh, try and figure that truth out for ourselves. And I would say, and I'm sure you all would agree, uh, based on the amount of lies and propaganda that comes out of the mainstream, lamestream, fake news legacy media, uh, it's justly so uh, that we would uh, doubt their honesty and seek other sources and try and get that uh, story together for ourselves. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, that's why I'm here. Because I've got the uh, space to do it. And, uh, well, we're going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to do it. All right. It looks like we got a few more friends coming on in. I hope everyone, again, is having a safe and happy New Year's Eve. Railing on. Thank you for gifting a cookie. Um, as we're going to have some cookies coming on in. Pilled by the Rabbit. Good evening and happy New Year's. How are you doing tonight, sir? Another cookie from Railing on. Thank you so much. How did you know I was craving sweets tonight, sir? <laughs> and let's see here. Uh, Skeeterberg says, The Epoch Times article about protests in front of Maxwell Courthouse. Maxwell trial eerily similar to Franklin scandal. I remember you mentioning something about the Franklin scandal. Uh, the Franklin cover-up, um, uh, I think, would be more... Um, it would probably be a, a more... Actually, that's what they called it, you know, once it was all said and done. Now, um, the Franklin cover-up, man, I remember seeing a documentary about what happened. Uh, it was with a, what, a former senator or representative, right? Um, who was running that uh, boys' uh, school or that boys' um, uh, what are those things called? Uh, uh, houses for, you know, runaway boys. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's leading my mind right now. But yeah, that was a, that was a terrible story. And uh, we do know that there was a cover-up, actually, that came out of that. Um, and it was rather heinous. And uh, some of the things that they remarked about having happened there. So wrong, ladies and gentlemen. So, so wrong. All right. Let's see if we're still live real quick, because it looks like I am getting... Uh some slowdown on my end. Uh, if you're listening to us over at the podcast right now, uh, on my end uh, during this live stream, it looks like we are uh, we're in a limbo. 
but uh, I am going to continue to try to get this thing going. Okay, I think we're back up and running. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> okay, oh, I told you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, uh, it's the end of the month and we're out of Wi-Fi here over at the old C household. Now, for those of you who were uh, with us on the podcast, we just had a temporary, uh, a temporary breakdown in functions here. Uh, but we're back up live on the air now. Thank you guys for holding patient there. Goodness Lord. All right. Uh, I either got the boot or it's just because we're out of Wi-Fi over here. Uh, but either way, uh, they can keep me down, but not for long. All right, guys. Where do we leave off? <laughs> okay, let's see here. Uh, what were we? Oh, yeah, yeah. Boys Town. Thank you, Sean Joe. We were talking about the Franklin cover-up. Is what we were talking about, you know, and because they, you know, they tried to cover that up. And I, I even saw an interview uh, with one of the mothers um, whose son had uh, been uh, abducted and, and part of that entire thing. And uh, it was a very emotional, uh, uh, I guess, um, story uh, because the son actually went back and to the mother to you know, tell her that he was alive. Uh, but of course, um, because of everything that he'd experienced uh, and basically the way that he had uh, become used to living, uh, he couldn't stay with her because he was already an adult. And, you know, all the abuse that they face over there, basically it just I, I mean, I guess it would warp your mind. And uh, yeah, he couldn't he couldn't stay with her. But anyhow, let's move on from that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Franklin cover up Franklin scandals, a very interesting story. Uh, and and Mac, uh, sorry, Skeeter Burke did mention that it's been said that uh, the Maxwell trial is eerily similar to that. Well, we're not done with Maxwell yet, though. Okay, and we're not done with all of that. Now, I know it's, uh, it's actually easy to go into the default pattern of uh, nothing ever changes. And, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't see any hope for any justice being served. But I mean, if you want to project that type of reality, it's your prerogative. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the fat lady hasn't saying yet. The canary is still alive in the coal mine, as far as I'm concerned. And I know that also, you know, it seems like that's just the way it goes, right? In this day and age, it just, it just seems like uh, these people do whatever they want and they still get away with it. Um, but you know what? Let, let's take an let's take an alternate view. Let's say let's say uh, sometime within the next year, uh, things turn around. Uh, we get President Trump or someone like him, and I say that so that we're not throwing all of our uh, you know all of our eggs in the Trump basket, right? Uh, but let's say uh, let's say um, you know uh, things turn around. Let's say let's say for example. Let's say you have uh, two thirds of Congress all involved in a pedophile scandal with Epstein or something like that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, can I just say, uh, don't we want to get rid of everyone in Congress anyway, pretty much? Aren't there just like 10 or 12 possible elected officials who are actually fighting for America? So wouldn't it be a good thing, you know? And then uh, I kind of put that in the same uh, frame of thought with this entire, um, the decertification of the entire 2020 election, just based on the fact and just based on the premise that none of the machines were certified in 2018 and in 2020, uh, that legally, 
based on federal law and on state law, I mean, there's another reason why we can decertify the election. None of the machines were certified to federal law's requirements or state law's requirements. So uh, add that to the list of uh, reasons to decertify that we've been talking about the past two days. And they would literally have to get rid of every single person in Congress anyways, right? So um, say that happens in the next six months to a year. And then uh, say everything that we've been wanting to see, everything that we know should be done, falls and it happens, right? Then we can say, well, it only took them about 100 or two years to get things right. But guess what? We got it right. And then we can no longer say, oh, well, they always get away with it. And oh, well, things never change. And oh, there's no hope. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm an optimistic type of person. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a glasses overfilling type of person. Uh, so, um, that's just me, you know, and, uh, I'm, I don't, I do not detract from anyone who has those feelings in regards to, uh, things never changing. I mean, it's, it's realistic. It's uh, practical. It's pragmatic. It's understandable, you know, so uh, I get it. I totally get it. You know, I used to be in that boat as well, but I hopped over to the other one because there was more space for one. (laughs) There are fewer people who are looking at these things optimistically. So I was able to, you know, kind of stretch out. And uh, I just I just find that um, I work better and stay better focused when I'm looking at things in a positive, hopeful and faithful perspective than just focusing on the defeat and the doom and the gloom. That's not to say it doesn't get me sometimes, though. Uh, there's been a couple of instances where I'm just like, huh, really like, uh, you know, and, and totally deflated. Uh, but uh, that's just how it goes sometimes, ladies and gentlemen. So uh Anyways, I know that's a bit of a stretch uh, in that regard, but uh, I would still, uh, I would still say, um, I, I would say everyone's perspective is fair at this point. Uh, but I know what side I want to be on uh, as far as, uh, as far as you know, keeping it, uh, keeping it positive, at least for myself, for my own benefit. Okay, for my own benefit, gonna keep it positive. All right, where were we at now? Skeeterberg dropped a, a link in the uh, chat there, so I'll definitely check that out. Um, let's, oh, oh, that's, oh, cool, it's, it's for your channel. I'll definitely check that out. All right, cool, cool. Sean Joe Rillanon, thank you for the cookies. Uh, <laughs> Sean Joe, boy, I sure do love pontificating. <laughs> where's my pulpit uh and then uh, we got some more cookie oh we got we got a cookie train coming in right now railing on sean joe thank you guys i appreciate y'all's uh support there and uh let's see here uh we got uh pill by the rabbit uh says mr c so happy you're feeling better rolling in 22 with health and freedom yes sir cheers 100 percent Sir, uh, let me tell you what, I am, I am very, very pleased about that too. Still got some health uh, tests coming in, but uh, I, I think I'm pretty much in the clear for uh, anything that would have been truly detrimental uh, to the work that I do and the, you know, the likes. Good evening, uh, WC Cranop, and uh, Happy New Year's Eve to you as well. Uh, you guys already added, I, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, with the cookies, you got that cookie train, we got that cookie train. 
And uh, Skeeter Burke also, the guy who organized the protest was named Nick Bryant. Okay, he's back. Yeah. Uh, Nick Bryant, uh, I believe that they had one protest of the entire time, right? Or I'll have to go back and look at that article. Um, I have the Epoch Times uh, down, so I can try and do that. One, two, three, SKG. Thank you for the cookies. Railing on cookie. Shanjo cookie. Railing on cookie. So, uh, so thankful for that. And Sol Rico, thank you so much. Oh, wait. Sol Rico, happy new year. Sorry. And uh, it's good to see you as well tonight. Vinny, 1765, gifting the phone. Happy New Year, Mr. C. Thank you, Vinny. I appreciate you. And welcome on into the chats. And we're going to round that off with one more cookie. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with the technical delays that we've already had and, uh, you know, my, uh, my uh, tendency to be a little bit too wordy, <laughs> let's jump in today's news. Okay, let's get it rolling, guys, because we've, uh, we've, uh, we've got quite a task uh, to talk about with Russia and with Ukraine, and I don't want to be here till midnight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, um, let's see here what we got. Let's start with them Trump statements, ladies and gentlemen. As per the usual, what do we got first here? Let's bring that up onto the board. And uh, this as of today, Happy New Year, says President Trump. No, just kidding. That's not what he says. Rather, it is a grim reminder of the abject failure of the illegitimate administration known as the Pedo Joe administration. President Trump says about that, the United States just set a record high for coronavirus infections. Remember when Biden said that he would quickly and easily solve this problem? How's he doing? He now says that it is up to the states, not the federal government, exactly the opposite of what he said during his campaign. Again, ladies and gentlemen, another spotlight feature on uh, the uh, <laughs> on the work that uh, that never would be, you know, uh, another way to feature how uh, Washington and uh, also a career politicians always say one thing, but they never follow through or they just flat out lie one or the other. Right. So uh, another highlight, hopefully, for those who are still asleep and uh, perhaps uh, heard the talking heads go on and on about how Joe Biden was going to stop the coronavirus and how Kamala Wanalea Harris was going to put an end to it and that they would do a much better job than President Trump did. And now, just like Bradford Raffensperger is uh, sliding responsibility over to the federal government to take care of his elections... It seems that uh, Joe Biden wants to slide over responsibility for the coronavirus over to uh, the states. So uh, that is just, uh, you know, talking about this coronavirus thing. And uh, it's, it's so done, ladies and gentlemen. It's so done. I don't know if any of y'all happens to hear about the latest variant of coronavirus. We're not talking about Omicron, okay, which apparently now is supposed to be some kind of a segue into herd immunity, right? Uh, let's call it community immunity. What do we look like? Animals? Um, but there's a brand new variant, ladies and gentlemen, a brand new variant. Stop me if you've heard this one. But apparently, the deep state, the globalists, the WHO, 
all of those bad actors or figures or individuals uh, who are conspiring uh, this entire fake pandemic to begin with, they have found the answer that has stumped, uh, has stumped, uh, stumped them, has stumped their pundits, and has stumped defenders of the vaccine from the jump. And you guys know what that was? It was the question when asked, okay, so we have coronavirus now, but what happened to the flu? Because after all, we've had the flu every year for since the influenza, right? Uh, they've uh, told us all that we have to uh, take our annual flu shots, right? Uh, because they were probably grooming us for this uh, coronavirus, uh, get your six shots uh, a year. In fact, uh, there's a country now, uh, I don't know if it was Australia or somewhere in Europe, where they were uh, going to require, it might, it might be Israel actually, that they're going to require six shots per year moving forward to fight coronavirus. Like it's already getting ready to be mandated. Like uh, you will not be considered fully vaccinated unless you get six shots. Now, I don't have that article here to support uh, but, uh, I know you guys, uh, if you have any doubt about what I say, you'd go look it up yourselves. And, um, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that is ridiculous. Okay. It's, it's quite easy to see why the world, except for America, right, is starting to really stand up and protest and go after, uh, these supposed, um, you know, uh, um, elected officials for them in that instance, these people who are supposed to be taking care of them and uh, who are supposed to be running their government and making sure that their lives are easy and uh, that are all honest, right? And, and uh, they all have integrity and, and the purest of intents, right? That everyone's seeing that that's a joke, okay? But uh, in order for the globalist hacks to uh, fight that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, WC Cranop says it was the Netherlands. Thank you, sir. And good evening, Khaleesi2020. Thank you for uh, gifting the can. So over the coronavirus, indeed, indeed, so over it. Um, in order for them to fight that narrative, because this is something that, you know, you re they really, uh, this could really stump them. Like if enough people in America or around the world were awake to uh, logic, right? And if they had a memory that was any longer than uh, what they ate for, ate for yesterday's dinner, some instances, it's not even that long, right? Uh, they would recall that there was a time that uh, we had a flu season. And every, uh, every certain time of the year, we uh, geared up for that flu shot and we went and got our, our shots. And, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we took extra care to, to stay well and healthy. But um, uh, where'd the flu go once coronavirus came around? So this is the latest variant, ladies and gentlemen. I thought this was a joke at first. I thought I was reading the Babylon Bee, okay? I thought I was like, I don't know, watching a Mark Dice video or something like that. It had to be. I don't know who came up with this stuff, ladies and gentlemen, but let's, let's share with you the latest variant, okay? Uh, now, uh, this is going to come from an article from Hamodia Newspaper. And if you've never heard of Hamodia newspaper, it's because it is a uh, paper from Israel. And uh, this is what they have to say. Okay, and this is for real, ladies and gentlemen. Israel reports first case of Flurona. Ladies and gentlemen, 
The latest variant as of Thursday, December 30th, is Fluorona. Okay, so Israel is reporting, and this story is already picking up traction in the European countries. Uh, so you can find other news agents outlet, uh, news agency outlets that will be talking about the Fluorona. Okay, and this is totally going to explain why we no longer have the seasonal flu once Corona came into the picture. Okay, so this is, uh, yeah, this is how ridiculous it's getting, ladies and gentlemen. How many people do you think are going to hide, cower, uh, quintuple and dectuple mask and uh, boost up their shots to like uh, 10 in a week because of this incident? Okay, so it says here, Israel has documented its first case of the so-called Fluorona, a simultaneous coronavirus and influenza virus infection. Uh, Yediot reported on Thursday. The double infection was first identified in a woman this week at Rabin Medical Center in Petak Tikva. According to the hospital, the new mother, who is not vaccinated against either pathogen, which that strikes me, actually, uh, that they actually have someone in Israel that's not vaccinated. I guess guess she's one of the, what, 10 or 20 percent that didn't get vaccinated? Uh, is feeling well and is expected to be discharged from the hospital later Thursday. The health ministry is still examining the case, which was relatively mild and has yet to determine whether a combination of the two viruses causes more severe illness. Health officials estimate many other patients have also come down with both bugs, but have not been diagnosed. Last year, we did not witness flu cases among pregnant or birthing women because we had coronavirus said Professor Arnon uh, Witznitzer, an obstetrics and gynecology specialist and the director of the hospital's gynecology department. Today we are seeing cases of both coronavirus and the flu that are starting to rear their head. Uh, Witznitzer noted that the patient treated at Rabin did not experience any unusually harsh symptoms. She was diagnosed with the flu and coronavirus as soon as she arrived, Both tests came back positive even after we checked again, he said. The disease is the same disease. They're viral and cause difficulty breathing since both attack the upper respiratory tract. So uh, I guess that's the way that they're going to uh, get rid of that narrative, right? They're going to get the, they're going to, they're going to appease, you know, the um, conspiracy theorists uh, about the uh, absence of the flu, the seasonal flu. Uh, in that in that regard, uh, yeah, they gotta they gotta they gotta hedge their bets where they can. They gotta they gotta do damage control where they can. So uh, the flu rona, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? The flu is back. Now, interesting enough, you know, uh, this woman who is not vaccinated, you know, had very mild symptoms. Now that does not support uh, any of the uh, any of the disinformation that they're giving uh, people and Americans out there about uh, those who are unvaccinated. Uh, because apparently if you're not vaccinated, you will, you will suffer far worse, um, you know, effects from coronavirus and certainly the flu. Uh, so, uh, that doesn't add up unless, uh, this unvaccinated lady had already had coronavirus and had natural immunity, which that, yeah, could be the case. You know, I'm sure there's several of us in the audience who probably had the coronavirus back in like October of 2020 or November of 2020 or even September, but had no idea what the heck it was, right? I know a lot of instances in in that type of situation that happened. So uh, very interesting. 
<laughs> and uh, let's see here. Sean Joe says, uh, this is their answer to why no flu cases last two years. Mm, there you go. Thank you for the cookies. Uh, but indeed. So, um, you know, along with that, though, uh, as I was going through this, and I was like, well, we're going to talk about uh, the flu Rona. I actually kind of saw this as more of a gag type of a story, something to kind of uh, laugh at. Um, it's, it's rather pathetic, right? Uh, because everyone knows uh, the coronavirus pretty much is the flu, right? You know, it's pretty much what it is. Uh, maybe just with uh, your loss of uh, taste and smell or whatever. Um, but uh, there was another article that I'd seen that I thought was actually very much worth sharing. And it has to do with America's frontline doctors. Uh, now, maybe some of y'all have heard about this, um, or maybe some of y'all haven't, uh, but it appears that uh, the America's frontline doctors, who have become uh, highly demonized, of course, uh, you know, by uh, uh, globalist-backed uh, agencies, uh, CDC, WHO, and uh, every pundit and politician, um, you know, uh, that is uh, against um, any type of uh, talking about natural immunity or about... Uh, um, uh, uh, things that can help prevent or fight stave off the coronavirus. Uh, they are also the most trusted amongst, uh, you know, communities and uh, circles of individuals um, who may have experienced some of their uh, healing techniques and medicines and suggestions, uh, may have had the help from them in the legal department, um, you know, or may have done the research themselves. Right uh, now, this I found very heartening about America's frontline doctors. And I was like, this is what we need to do. In fact, when this whole Corona thing was going on at the first start and we're hearing about, uh, you know, people uh, not being uh, serviced by doctors and being turned away at clinics and stuff like that because they don't want to wear a mask, you know, or they don't want to uh, they didn't get the vaccine and they're not going to get the vaccine. I mean, there's uh, pundits out there right now that are recommending that uh, if you don't have a vaccine, that you should not receive medical attention. Like, what kind of a world do we live in where uh, you will be denied medical attention because you chose not to get a vaccine, right? I mean, that's kind of like saying, um, I don't know, uh, it's kind of like saying that uh, this person, an example, has uh, has HIV AIDS and yet still they choose not to protect themselves and still they choose to go out there and, you know, endanger the rest of the community. Well, since they've made that choice, they should not get any type of medical attention because they they are clearly self-destructive and have, you know, they have no concern for themselves or anyone at all or the community. You know, I mean, that's a drastic type of analogy comparison. But uh, I mean, really, guys, really. You would deny someone the ability to uh, stay healthy or get well because of some type of phobia that one has over, uh, you know, um, a genuinely manufactured disease with a very deadly high risk um, vaccine that does not cure it. Right. Makes no sense at all whatsoever. But uh, America's Frontline Doctors has an answer. Um, that pretty much was in line with something that I was thinking. And that was, well, uh, the answer to that, ladies and gentlemen, free market reigns is we need to have clinics that uh, take patients who do not uh, prefer to have a vaccine and don't want to mask. Uh, and uh, well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, that is the plan 
for America's frontline doctors. And I got to say, my hat goes off to them, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, they will be providing what we need in that regard, you know, because uh, I mean, freedom of choice, man, freedom of choice. And then, of course, uh, there is always, um, you know, reasoning, um, yeah, research, uh, logic, studying. Yeah, all of those things could help with that. Uh, but let's see what this article has to say. It is from newspunch.com. It says America's frontline doctors, an organization which is opposed to COVID. And uh, let me go ahead and expand that. Measures like lockdowns and vaccinations has vowed to open its own clinics and has invited medical staff and pharmacists to join. And I'll go ahead and expand this just a little bit more. It says uh, the group has been accused of spreading misinformation and have even dared to question the efficacy of the COVID jabs. Their COVID treatments, which have been labeled unproven, focus on both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Never mind that uh, probably everyone in Congress has been using these methods. Never mind that there was a story that recently came out about uh, athletes all using these remedies uh, behind the scenes. According to a newsletter that was distributed among its supporters last week, um, AFLDS, America's Frontline Doctors, is opening its first medical clinic in the coming months, with many more planned shortly after. RT reports AFLDS and its associated companies are currently under investigation by Congress, while the California Medical Board is looking into the right-wing organization's founder, Simon or Simone Gold, after mounting calls to strip her of her license in the state. However, all the pressure and legal woes don't seem to have affected the group's plan to further expand its operations in the United States of America. AFLDS is opening its first medical clinic in the coming months with many more plans shortly after, Gold said in a newsletter, which was distributed <clears throat> among supporters last week. The location of the Maiden Clinic and the date of its opening were not mentioned in the email. She reiterated the claim that American medical workers are having their rights stripped away by corrupt state and government actors during the pandemic. Uh, the newsletter included a special form so that doctors looking to care for their patients without interference <clears throat> and pharmacists for whom practicing good medicine means more than bowing to corporate mandates could join AFLDS and work at its medical facilities. Now, could you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine all of the uh, hospital staff that was fired um, or that, uh, you know, uh, lost their jobs because they chose not to get the vax? Could this possibly be a recourse for them? Could they take their years of experience and training to AFLDS clinics and work there? I mean, it's it's almost a beautiful thing, really, if you think about it, um, because there's a way out, ladies and gentlemen. That glass is half full and it overfloweth. No, just kidding. I mean, it's not overflowing yet, but uh, I found this very heartening. I'm, I mean, uh, I'm sure, you know, this is an idea that they thought about a long time ago, but with everything, uh, every bit of uh, interference and every bit of um, a challenge that they have faced, uh, the American Frontline doctors, uh, I mean, they, they do what they can and they've done a great job 
at uh, saving and protecting Americans and people around the world, and also at fighting against the lies and the tyranny of the uh, pharmaceutical and medical industrial complex that rules from behind the scenes and pulls the strings of a lot of those career politicians uh, out there today. So uh, I found that, I found this was a great article and a great way to end the, the, this year at the Sea Report talking about this uh, avenue of hope um, that we have. Now, uh, what kind of challenges will they face, right, once they actually get these things opened? Like, uh, I could see, I mean, obviously, they're going to have challenges. Obviously, they're going to have, you know, uh, they're going to have state and federal agencies coming after them, right? Because that's why those agencies are there to regulate those uh, that they do not agree with their practices, those that buck the current, those that don't do what they tell them to do. But uh, I kind of see that as... um, I kind of see that as another another uh, another way that uh, people will wake up, right? Because when you get down to it, you know, uh, of course you have those people out there who are rabid with fear and uh, who are rabid with uh, do what the government tells you kind of mentality. Uh, but when you get down to it, um, if you're looking at free choice, you know, um, and you're not wrapped up in that fear, What's the harm in having a clinic that services those that don't take the vaccine? Uh, You know, what's the harm in keeping that from them? And if we have the federal government just rail against them, I think that stands as a chance to wake more people up. Um, because, uh, you know, why got to be like that, right? You know, it doesn't have to be some sort of federally funded or, you know, supported type of hospital or uh, uh, the likes, you know, it could be independent, you know, and whatever happens to uh, to independent uh, hospitals, uh, banks, uh, schools, uh, churches, for that matter, well, they all got regulated, ladies and gentlemen. Here is uh, that... Um, Here's that newsletter they were talking about calling all freedom-loving Americans. Hello, patriots across our great nations. Doctor, nation, doctors, nurses, and pharmacists are having their rights stripped away by corrupt state and government actors. We are here to stand up for your rights to practice safe, effective medicine and serve your patients. The time is now to band together and take action in defense of our constitutional medicine, medical rights. AFLDS is opening its first medical clinic in the coming months with many more planned shortly after. We would like to hear from you, doctors and nurses. Do you want to honor your Hippocratic oath and care for your patients without interference? Join us to practice medicine and nursing ethically and honorably. Protect your patients, community and country. Pharmacists, you are the final gatekeeper of the sacred bond between doctor and patient. If practicing good medicine means more to you than bowing to corporate mandates, click below. All Americans, are you a patient seeking access to doctors who are not influenced by anyone else, uh, i.e. big tech, pharma, and government, pharmaceuticals and government? We will be opening clinics across the country in the near future. Join the wait list now. And then it says uh, to click the link below to let them know your feedback is what will help them make their decision for future clinic locations. Isn't that exciting, guys? Is that not exciting? You know, and I would say even if, uh, even if this, uh, even if this sham, even this uh, scam of a pandemic continues, which I don't think it will, but don't, don't, uh, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word to the bank. 
But even if it does, um, you know, th- we may still have this outlet. Okay, we may still have this outlet. So uh, that for me, ladies and gentlemen, is a very, very, very heartening thing to see. And I just had to share it with you guys. I just had to share it. Okay, let's check out uh, what we got next. Ah, who's that on the board? Looks like we have some familiar faces. We got uh, President Trump. We got uh, Governor Dunleavy. And we have one snaky Senator Murkowski on the board. And uh, this, ladies and gentlemen, will uh, go towards President Trump's next statement. Uh, Now, as you all may remember, President Trump uh, recently endorsed Governor Dunleavy of Alaska with the condition that he would not endorse Murkowski for another uh, another uh, another um, campaign bid. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it seems that Governor Dunleavy has accepted the terms of President Trump's endorsement. And so President Trump released this statement uh, on the 30th yesterday. President Trump said, This is why Mike Dunleavy of Alaska has been and will be a great governor. He has the courage of his convictions. Lisa Murkowski is the disaster from Alaska, who single-handedly blew ANWR, or A-N-W-R, one of the largest energy sites in the world and an incredible economic development opportunity for the great state of Alaska. So, all right. Well, there you go, uh, Governor Dunleavy. If anyone was wondering exactly how he would act uh, on that endorsement and on that, some people called it an ultimatum, particularly if they were, you know, enemies of the Trump. Uh, but uh, that um, that uh, term, I guess you could say. Uh, well, now we know it didn't take it did not take Governor Dunleavy that long to respond. I mean, uh, that endorsement just came at the beginning of the week. So, uh, quite interesting. Quite interesting and uh, good Good for Governor Dunleavy. 123SKG says, I'm hoping for Patriot Banks. Uh, you know, uh, that would be a great thing, right? Um, that would be a great thing. Uh, fortunately, we, uh, fortunately we, um, we got away from the risk of that Omarova lady uh, coming into uh, office, right? Uh, that would have been ter- she would have she would have nationalized every single bank down to the mom and pop down to the down to the FDIC, ladies and gentlemen, and the uh, likes. So that was that would have been a bad move, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see what we got next for you guys. We have a final statement from President Trump for tonight. This, ladies and gentlemen, is an endorsement. All right. Uh, For some of you who are wondering, who is that man in the cowboy hat on the screen? Uh, Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is one Sid Miller. And uh, Sid Miller is currently the Texas uh, Commissioner for um, Agriculture in our state. I say our state because I'm in Texas, right, ladies and gentlemen? So, uh, all right. So, Sid Miller, ladies and gentlemen, great to see that he has received the endorsement of President Trump. Uh, Sid Miller is uh, effectively running for his third term as Texas State Agricultural Commissioner. Let's see what President Trump had to say. Uh, President Trump said, Commissioner Sid Miller is a terrific agricultural commis- agriculture commissioner for the great state of Texas. A farmer and champion rodeo rider, Sid was an early fighter for our America First agenda. 
He is working hard to support farmers, military, and vets, lower taxes, and defend the Second Amendment. Sid has my complete and total endorsement. Now, in regards to endorsements, of course, it can be said one should absolutely do their homework on uh, they whom are endorsed by President Trump. You know, uh, but I could I could say for a fact that this is an endorsement I can get behind. Um, uh, some of you all in the audience might remember this man uh, as uh, being one of the speakers at the uh, first uh, Forgotten Country Patriot Roundups. Uh, and that was over in Dallas, Texas, where Sid Miller uh, was one of the featured speakers. Now, at that time, Sid Miller was actually running for uh, governor of the state of Texas. He had, he had put in a bid or he talked about putting in a bid for governor in the state of Texas uh, and uh, um, running uh, against uh, Rhino Abbott. Um, but since that time, uh, Sid Miller has decided uh, to retract his bid for governor. And instead, he is going to uh, run again for office of um, um, agriculture commissioner for Texas. So again, this would be his third term. This time he's getting backed up with an endorsement from President Trump, which looks good for him. Uh, one of the one of the clowns that is uh, running against him uh, is a man by the name of George P. Bush. Yeah. George Prescott Bush, the grandbaby who was named with the worst names, right? He was named after a Nazi and a pedophile, right? <laughs> well, that guy's running for a uh, for um, uh, ag commissioner in Texas, and ah, uh, uh, we don't want to see him getting that job because we all know he'll probably make it easier uh, for you know uh, interests like China to get in or something like that. But um, in in regards to Sid Miller's track record and some of the reasons why I support the endorsement from President Trump personally. Uh, uh, Sid Miller's been very vocal against Rhino Abbott in regards to uh, to many things. Uh, most recently, uh, Sid Miller um, was calling for a fourth special session here in the state of Texas uh, so that this way Governor Abbott and the Texas legislature could pound out some laws in regards to the vaccine mandates, which of course are a federal overreach and break constitu uh, our constitutional rights, and also the mask mandates. Keep in mind that uh, the Texas legislature didn't get any of that done. At, at this point in time, Texans are still at risk of this federal overreach from the government uh, coming out of Washington, D.C., right? Uh, so that was one thing, for example. Um, and then also, um, Sid Miller has been uh, very vocal, too, about uh, his objection against child mutilation via sex change drugs, um, in other words, chemical castration. Now, this was actually a very uh, pertinent issue uh, that because so many people, so many Texans are concerned about uh, that um, they actually uh, had the state AG make a statement on it. They actually had uh, Abbott make um, a statement on it, which really was ineffective uh, because uh, he kind of basically threw it back to the Texas Department of um, uh, Public Safety and Health or the hum Health and Human Services. I apologize in, in their response to these things. But um, 
Well, well let's, dig, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper into that thought, though, about uh, the child mutilation, the chemical castration, um, because that, that was very important to Texans here, you know, and it was, an, again, an issue that was not addressed. And we had Sid Miller actually going uh, on national TV with uh, Tucker Carlson to talk about it, right? Uh, but this, uh, this article coming from the National File... Texas, Sid Miller slams Dustin Burroughs for slow walking bill banning kitty chemical castration in a new ad. Now, um, that's that's part of the way it works in Texas, ladies and gentlemen. The grand show, the grand old Opry show of politics as usual with the uh, good old boys of the rhino farms in the uh, Texas State House. Uh, they find a way to uh, to um, to stall or to stymie any uh, bills or laws that they don't want to pass. And in this case, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the reason why we can highly speculate that they do not want this bill to pass is because the pharmaceutical companies that create these chemical castrating drugs, um, uh, that it's child abuse, you know, to uh, give this to a child at a young age when the, they want to be Wonder Woman, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe someone thinks they should be Superman, right? Uh, these pharmaceutical companies actually gave uh, rather large donations uh, to Rhino Abbott and as also as well Speaker Phelan Dade and also as well Lieutenant Governor uh, Dan Patrick. So the top three uh, honchos there in the Texas State Legislature, they all received money from the pharmaceutical companies that create these drugs. And uh, we can see why, you know, it was slow walk to the point that uh, it just didn't hit the floor on time. Well, this is what the article has to say about Sid Miller. Uh, it says a national file obtained a radio ad that began airing this morning that features the voice of Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller that excoriates, excoriates, sorry, Texas Representative Dustin Burroughs, who heads the Texas House Calendar Committee for slow walking HB 1399, which would effectively ban chemical castration of minors in the state. Miller says Burroughs is dragging his feet on the bill as the end of the legislative session approaches in a clandestine bid to prevent Texas from passing a bill similar to legislation passed in Arkansas that made national headlines when the legislature overturned an attempted veto by Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Um, you know that it's wrong that sex change operations is perfectly legal on minors in Texas. Really? Hey, we don't even allow minors to drink, buy cigarettes, vote, or engage in sexual activity, but we do allow them to have life-altering sex change operations, said Miller in the radio ad. You know, House Bill 1399 will stop that here in Texas by banning hormone sex change and chemical castrations on minors. Okay, uh, and then uh, he goes on to talk about uh, Representative Dustin Burroughs of Lubbock. Again, he chairs the calendar committee and uh, Sid Miller says he is holding up the bill because woke corporations put pressure on him. We need to fight back. And uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm willing to wager that's not just that uh, the woke corporations are putting pressure on uh, this Dustin guy. Um, uh, Dustin Burroughs. I'm willing to bet because as as it has been expressed by those who have actually been uh, part of the Texas House, that the decision on when bills, what bills will be made, what bills will be passed, what bills will be slow walked, what bills will be stopped, all of that stuff happens behind the scenes before months before it even hits 
you know, uh, any type of consideration. So uh, I would say, I mean, it's staged. Everything is staged. That's why Texas is the worst. Yeah, it's like Texans are always like, oh, yeah, we're Texas is the best. You know, Texas. Is, yeah, well, well, it's the worst, too. So and they're all rhinos, which is even worse because they've been bamboozling Texans for decades in this regard. And it, it kind of gets me a little hot under the collar. And I, I think that would be understandable as well. Uh, article concludes Burroughs previously resigned from his position as chair of the Texas House GOP caucus after he was caught in an audio recording plotting to target fellow Republicans who were political opponents of former House Speaker Dennis Bonin, uh, Bonin and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Despite this, Burroughs was reelected and former Texas candidate for U.S. House Eric uh, Chris Ekstrom told National File that he is widely viewed as a hatchet man for Abbott and corporate interests in the state. Okay, so uh, again, Burroughs working for Abbott, they're getting money. Uh, it all makes a little bit of sense now. It all makes a little bit of sense. Okay, but we'll go ahead and uh, stop the review of that article there. So, uh, well, there you have it in regards to Sid Miller and the endorsement from President Trump. So uh, I think that's one that, uh, personally speaking for myself, I will trust. And, uh, you know, I like Sid Miller. You know, I like Sid Miller. And, uh, uh, you know, I've heard him speak and stuff like that as well. So... I'm glad that he received uh, that endorsement from President Trump. All right. What do we got next for you guys tonight? Whoopsies. Ah, yes. Let's get into one of uh, the main dishes for today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is where we'll be talking about uh, the COVID-19 nursing home death scandal uh, that rocked the nation at the head or the onset of this uh, coronavirus planned pandemic, shamdemic, call it what you will. Now, we'll all recall the story, ladies and gentlemen, um, of uh, five specific states with five specific governors. Like I called them the governators at the head of this uh, when we were first talking about this story, where they basically uh, mandated or they told uh, you know, facilities such as nursing homes, rehabilitation centers and the likes, uh, hospices um, uh, where you have live in uh, um, residences that, you know, uh, require assistance. Uh, that they would have to accept patients back into their facilities. OK, uh, and, and this was sometimes um, underneath uh, whether or not they had been uh, proven to have uh tested negative for coronavirus. Uh, so you're, you're taking in people who, who might have recovered. Uh, you're taking in people who may not, they may not have known. And we'll look at some of, the, uh, some, of the, um, some of the mandates that were coming out of that as well. But uh, uh, in, in this regard, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we also saw the greatest percentage of, uh, of deaths coming out of these uh, facilities, you know? And there's a, there can be there can be some speculation as it said about why it was that that happened i know one of the running narratives is because they knew that that would help spike the numbers of deaths so that this way uh there would be uh, a more of a uh a fear headline to push to americans out there about the dangers of coronavirus and how deadly it was because after all we had homeless people you know falling dead in the street left and right because of this pandemic right i mean Shoosh, you know, like uh, if 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 
not taking a bath will keep me from getting coronavirus, then by golly, I will not take a bath, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, uh, thinking logically, right? Uh, we've all heard that one. So anyhow, um, uh, some some new developments, right? Uh, well, as a recap, we had, uh, it was uh, New York, New York State, New Jersey State, Pennsylvania State, Michigan State. I mean, we all know their states, right? And uh, California, okay? Uh, so we're talking about, uh, we're talking about uh, Nipple Rings Cuomo. We're talking about uh, Wretched Gretchen Whitmer. We're talking about Gavin Gruesome Newsome. And we're talking about uh, Tom Wolf and Phil Murphy. Uh, I, don't, I don't have uh, nicknames for a, a Wolf or Murphy. Um, so uh, if we come up with something before the end of the show, maybe it'll stick. Uh, but uh, those, those governors specifically uh, required uh, of their, um, their facilities that they take in patients uh, with the risk of spreading coronavirus-19 to, uh, to those who are uh, living there. Uh, and we already know those in that age range or in that physical uh, spot um, may be susceptible. You know, they may have, a, you know, a, a lacking immunity efficiencies and stuff like that. Uh, everything that comes with that uh, compiled. And I mean, it's almost as if, though, there was some type of uh, uh, an age based genocide, you know, um, where they sent these people basically to their death by this decision. Uh, a lot could be said about that. I mean, we had, uh, we had pushback, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in Michigan, for example, um, there were several investigations that were being called for in regards to why governor wretched Gretchen Whitmer, um, issued these statements. Right. And, and then in that, we learned that there was also some type of a cover up right that went on between her and the former Michigan uh, Health and Human Services director uh in the state of New York we saw um a much bigger uprising we had uh families that were having press conferences uh that were filing lawsuits okay uh they're calling for uh, Cuomo to pay uh they're calling for Whitmer to pay um and in fact it was between Michigan and uh New York that we actually saw the most animus against the state in regards to um, to this heinous act that killed many people, we didn't hear so much about it in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or California, right? Um, at least, at least the pushback from the people of the state. Um, I, for one, was thinking that, particularly in the case of New Jersey, uh, Governor Murphy over there in New Jersey, he uh, at the same time this was going on, he decriminalized marijuana. So I was like, well, that's a smart move, Murphy. You're going to get everyone so high and loaded up that they're not even going to care, you know, about what's going on. Uh, but that actually isn't the case. Um, uh, what is happening is a development coming out of New Jersey, in fact, ladies and gentlemen. And it appears that the state of New Jersey will be settling the COVID-19 nursing home death scandal, ladies and gentlemen. They will be settling, okay, with the families of those who lost their loved ones. Now, this rubs me the wrong way in so many ways um, because, uh, because of the decision that these governors made to send these residents to their death. I feel like they should serve time. I feel like justice should be served. I feel like a settlement is an insult, you know, to uh, the lives that were lost, right? 
and uh, and it makes a terrible example of uh, how these people can get away with it. Now, in the case of Cuomo, for example, uh, we see that what he he had um, he had uh, his um, uh, her name was Melissa. Melissa, the daughter of the Southern District of New York lead attorney, <laughs> she was his former uh, his former uh, uh, lead administrative secretary. Uh, her family was tied to the New York uh, hospital centers, and they were tied to the nursing homes, and they all made money out of it. They they got money from the federal government. Like uh, that is that is that is just so scandalous. You know, that I hope at least in New York, they don't end with a settlement, okay? Now, in New Jersey, we did not see as much pushback, at least none that made the headlines in regards to uh, how the community and the people of uh, New Jersey were uh, uh, were feeling in regards to uh, this nursing home debt scandal. But it happened primarily in these five states, and I've also heard in Minnesota and also in the state of Washington as well. Uh, but let's see what this article has to say. Uh, about uh, the settlement that the state of New Jersey has reached in regards to this COVID debt scandal. Uh, The uh, headline reads here. Uh, It reads, in major settlement, New Jersey agrees to pay $52.9 million to families over COVID debts in states' hard-hit veterans' homes. Okay, so uh, let's see here. It says... I'm going to expand that for you guys. All right. It says the state of New Jersey, which was accused of gross negligence and incompetence over its handling of the COVID outbreak in the state run veterans homes, has agreed to pay nearly $53 million to the families of 119 residents whose deaths were attributed to the coronavirus in the early days of the pandemic. An administration official who confirmed the wide-ranging settlement on background said the families on average will receive $445,000 based on arbitration proceedings. Cases settle for a variety of reasons. The families of those who have lost their lives to COVID have gone through so much, said the official. The settlement will hopefully allow them to move forward without years of protracted and uncertain litigation. Two of the veterans' homes, one in Menlo Park and second in uh, Paramus, reported some of the highest COVID-related death tolls in the nation. The coronavirus claimed the lives of more than 200 residents as the virus swept through the buildings, prompting the state to send in emergency assistance from the Veterans Administration and the National Guard. Both facilities remain the focus of an ongoing federal investigation. The out-of-court resolution comes despite a broad immunity granted to the New Jersey nursing homes early in the pandemic and to those acting in good faith in support of New Jersey's COVID-19 response efforts. While not stopping all lawsuits, the state raised the bar in what might be considered negligence. Dozens of civil tort claims, notices against New Jersey, though, were filed by attorneys for families of those who died while in the state's care as the deaths in the veterans' homes soared. Among the more egregious examples at the veterans' homes that came to light were directives to staff not to use masks or gloves in the early days of the pandemic because it might scare residents. Administrators of the facilities were accused of failing to institute proper infection prevention measures as the virus began running rampant, despite clear evidence of just how quickly COVID was spreading. Lawyers for the families also charged that those in charge waited for for far too long uh, before isolating confirmed or suspected COVID-19 residents and that staff members who had tested positive for the virus or those who had been exposed 
were nevertheless still permitted to continue to work as the veterans facilities struggled with severe shortages of medical staff and nurse aides, and they accused the state of failing to conduct timely tests of staff and residents. In one of those cases filed on uh, behalf of Rose Dente, it was alleged that the 99-year-old 99-year-old widow of a U.S. Army veteran died due to gross departures from the standards of nursing care and infection control at the Veterans Memorial Home in Menlo Park. The notice cited directives by the facility's administration not to use masks and gloves and permitting residents to congregate in common areas even after the administration knew that it had COVID-19 positive residents and staff in the building. Under the terms of the settlement, which was obtained by New Jersey Advanced Media, the state will pay 60% of the settlement, or $31.7 million, within 90 days of the receipt of all closing papers from all plaintiffs in the case, including release and tax forms, as well as lien and judgment searches. The total amount of the settlement is $52,955,000. The amount each family will ultimately receive will depend upon the decisions reached in binding arbitration, the balance of the settlement will be paid on or before next July or upon the reporting of the decisions regarding arbitration hearings. And that's another thing that gets to me, ladies and gentlemen. Why is it that the taxpayer has to flit the bill for the gross incompetencies, negligence um, uh, that uh, those in power chose to make? I tell you, I really, I really wish there was some clause out there that said, if you screw, if you screw up royally, you will be personally sued, and the taxpayer does not have to uh, take the hit on that. It's it, that is ridiculous, ladies and. Uh, but we are moving along quite nicely, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and uh, what do I got for you next? Oh, there they are, ladies and gentlemen. It is the governors. Gavin, Gruesome Newsome, Nipple Rings Cuomo, Wretched Grishin Whitmer, Murphy, and Wolf uh, at the bottom there. Um, yeah, so the, these were the main cast of characters. Like I said, I've, I've read stories also that uh, the state of Minnesota was also guilty of this, and the state of Washington was also guilty of uh, sending out such notices to their um, you know nursing home facilities and the likes. But like I said, we have New Jersey settling over this, and it seems to be focused primarily on the veterans' homes. So they're not even looking at the nursing homes. They're not even looking at the uh, rehabilitation centers, at the hospices, uh, which that is kind of disconcerting when you think about it. Uh, let's take a look at this. This, this uh, comes from um, medium.com, uh, where it really kind of gets into a little bit of that detail. And we'll just spend a little bit of time here. The nursing home death warrants. Okay. Now this gives us a, a reminder of the scope of uh, what was really going on at that time in those states because of the requirements that the governors approved and had sent out to all of the facilities thereafter. It says with almost 70,000 lives lost in the span of months, the five states of New York, New Jersey, California, Pennsylvania, and Michigan account for almost half of the COVID-19 related deaths in the United States, but only one quarter of the population of the country. These aforementioned states forced nursing homes where our most vulnerable citizens reside to host COVID-19 positive patients 
resulting in predictable catastrophe for long-term care centers. The politicians and bureaucrats in charge of the coronavirus response in these states have attempted to cover up their role in issuing what amounts to de facto death warrants, with multiple states deleting the orders from their public health websites. Others simply refuse to take responsibility for issuing the orders or refuse to acknowledge their existence. And uh, the uh, writer of this article has actually collected those um, collected those uh, statements that were released. So, uh, for example, we have the one from New York State, and uh, there we have uh, Governor and where'd you go, Governor Andrew Nipplerings Cuomo, right? And uh, this was to nursing home administrators, directors of nursing and hospital discharge planners, uh, New York State Department of Health. And uh, the highlighted right here is this section. It says, no resident shall be denied readmission or admission to the uh, NH solely based on a confirmed or suspected diagnosis of COVID-19. NH stands for nursing homes. Uh, Nursing homes are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. Oh, oh, wait, but you got to make sure that you have your uh, your vaccine card and your mask and you don't have a temperature if you want to go to a restaurant. Right. But if you're in a nursing home, I don't care if they have covid, you will allow them in. Goodness, Uh, the uh, blood curdling hypocrisy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Here's Pennsylvania's guidance, interim guidance for nursing facilities during COVID-19. And uh, we have it uh, highlighted here. Admissions and discharges. Nursing care facilities must continue to accept new admissions and receive readmissions for current residents who have been discharged from the hospital who are stable to alleviate the increasing burden in the acute care settings. This may include stable patients who have had the COVID-19 virus. Okay. So there's, uh, there's Pennsylvania, New Jersey, again, uh, Governor Phil Murphy to nursing home and comprehensive rehabilitation hospital administrators, directors of nursing and hospital discharge planners. Right down here, it saith, no patient slash resident shall be denied readmission or admission to the post-acute care setting solely based on a confirmed diagnosis of COVID-19. Persons under investigation for COVID-19 who have undergone testing in the hospital shall not be discharged until results are available. Post-acute care facilities are prohibited from requiring a hospitalized patient slash resident who is determined medically stable to be tested for COVID-19 prior to admission or readmission. So they didn't even want you to test them, ladies and gentlemen. You were barred from doing the likes. And now here's Michigan. Interesting enough, if I'm not mistaken, Michigan actually removed this from their website. And that is the office of Governor Gretchen, Wretched Gretchen Whitmer. And it says here, any alternate care facility within the state that has available bed capacity to receive the residents must accept a transfer authorized by this order. And that order says, if a discharge in accordance with Section 5A or 5B of this part is not available, the hospital must transfer the resident to any alternate care facility with available bedding capacity in accordance with the following protocol. So uh, that was those including 
uh, including, uh, what do you call it, uh, possible COVID-19 infection. And then uh, this one in the state of California was definitely deleted from their Department of uh, Health, Public Health Service website. Uh, it says, prepare to receive residents with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 infection. Although COVID-19 infection can be severe and require inpatient care, some infections may be mild and not require medical care in an acute care facility. Hospitalized patients with COVID-19 infection may be medically stable or for discharge prior to discontinuation or transmission-based precautions. Therefore, SNF should prepare to accept such residents and institute the appropriate precautions to prevent the spread of infection to HCP and other patients. Okay. So, well, there you have it. That is just uh, some of the receipts on what we were seeing in those states and why uh, they're being called out. And like I'm saying, though, uh, the people of New York had it right. You know, they wanted Cuomo's head and not literally, obviously, for any of the detractors out there, but they wanted justice served and they deserve it. You know, they deserve it uh, because that type of an ordinance it, it flies in the face of reason for every story that they were trying to tell us back then. You know, uh, social distance, wear 20 masks, and yet send COVID-infected patients into a highly susceptible area uh, where others can be infected. It makes absolutely no sense unless you start thinking about the numbers game. And by numbers, I mean dollars, uh, because we know that uh, state agencies, uh, state government received a lot of money from the feds at this time. Uh, so, well, there is that, ladies and gentlemen. Justice must be served. Get off my screen. Ah, okay. Sorry, guys. I should have warned you. We had um, we had a swamp creature hag coming up. For those of you on the podcast, I'm talking about Hillary Clinton. Okay. Now, how many of you guys think that Hillary Clinton is going to run again for office because uh, uh, she can't be investigated, right? If she's running for uh, presidency, I mean, I don't know. The the lies seem to work last time, it seems. But um, anyways, a quick update on the the Durham investigation into uh, the conspiracy against President Trump. Uh, throughout his presidency, culminating in several sham impeachments and a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of witch hunting, basically. Uh, but it seems that uh, there's been a, a, a minute development, uh, but still one worth sharing, where uh, Durham is basically signaling uh, that um, he will be further scrutinizing the Clinton campaign. Uh, which is something that we've all been wanting and waiting for. And we've been waiting very patiently, right? Glad to put 2021 behind us, right? Uh, but he's been at this for like, what, four or five years already. So it's about time we had some movement. Uh, but let's see, uh, we, got, uh, we got the uh, scoop from the Washington Examiner. Uh, Durham tells court members of Clinton 2016 ca- campaign under scrutiny, okay? Because uh, this entire time, while we thought he was sitting on the beach with, uh, you know, uh, uh, the B2 bomber, big old beluga whale Billy bar, uh, drinking uh, uh, mimosas and cocktails and, uh, and the likes. Uh, he was uh, probably doing investigations and going before grand juries and all that stuff and uh, 
questioning people and uh, basically writing up the, the, the drafts for the uh, subpoenas that have already been, I mean, the, uh, the indictments have already been issued, uh, which are quite lengthy, right? And uh, full of a bunch of information that uh, had a lot of people scratching their head until they realized that he might actually be going a lot deeper than we might have thought or assumed at first. Let's see what uh, Washington Examiner shared with us in this regard. It says, uh, Special Counsel John Durham told a federal court that he is scrutinizing members of former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign as part of his criminal inquiry into the origins and conduct of the Trump-Russia investigation. Durham's team asked a judge to inquire into a potential conflict of interest related to the lawyers for British ex-spy Christopher Steele's main anti-Trump dossier source, noting that a separate lawyer at their firm is currently representing the 2016 Hillary for America presidential campaign, as well as multiple former employees of that campaign in matters before the special counsel. It goes on to say Igor Danchenko, a U.S.-based and Russian-born researcher, was charged with five counts of making false statements to the FBI. Durham's indictment said Danchenko made these statements about the information he provided to Steele for his now-discredited dossier, which the FBI relied upon when pursuing authority for the secret surveillance of a former Trump campaign aide. Stuart Sears and Danny Honorado who took over as Danchenko's defense lawyers this month, told Judge Anthony Trenga of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia that Durham's team was raising questions about Robert Trout, who is of counsel at their firm and represented Clinton campaign members in the past, but argued there is no conflict of interest. Durham's team argued the interests of the Clinton campaign and Danchenko could potentially diverge in connection with any plea discussions, pretrial proceedings, hearings, trial, and sentencing proceedings. The special counsel's team listed out of five topics that could become relevant to the defense of Danchenko. The Clinton campaign's knowledge or lack of knowledge concerning the veracity of information in the Steele dossier, the Clinton campaign's awareness or lack of awareness of Danchenko's collection methods for the dossier, meetings or communications between the Clinton campaign and Steele about Danchenko, the defendant's knowledge or lack of knowledge regarding the Clinton campaign's role in the dossier, and the extent to which the Clinton campaign and or its representatives directed, solicited, or controlled Danchenko's actions. On each of these issues, the interests of the Clinton campaign and the defendant might diverge, Durham said. For example, the Clinton campaign and the defendant each might have an incentive to shift blame and or responsibility to the other party for any allegedly false information that was contained within the company records and or provided to the FBI. Durham's team also hinted that former Clinton campaign members will be called to testify, which could be a potential conflict. The special counsel said it is likely the defense law firm already has obtained privileged information from the Clinton campaign about Danchenko and the dossier. 
but the prosecution said it believes that this potential conflict is waivable if Danchenko chooses to waive it. The judge ordered the defense team to file a potential waiver by Christmas Eve. Now, to round this off, it says Trout represented former Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta during his December 2017 appearance before the House Intelligence Committee, though Trout was at another firm. When Podesta appeared before the same committee in June that year, he had been represented by Clinton campaign general counsel Mark Elias, who had hired the opposition firm Fusion GPS, which then contracted Steele to conduct his anti-Trump research. So uh, it's a pretty interesting signal here. Here we see that uh, Durham is signaling that he may go further into the Clinton campaign to dig up those connections. Based on the uh, indictments that we've already seen, I'd say there's a lot of suggestive evidence in that in that regard, but it, it sounds like he's really trying to ensure that uh, as he moves forward with this investigation, that um, they basically can't checkmate each other, you know, and uh, you know, or 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 send either either a side of um either side of the coin into a tailspin in regards to, you know, lying or, you know, shifting the blame as it says. So interesting, minute development, but I thought worth sharing. So this way we know that there's still something going on behind the scenes with the John Durham uh, investigation and that it is not over yet, ladies and gentlemen. It's just been one of those uh, trials of patience for a lot of us, ladies and gentlemen, but... uh I mean, at least the ball seemingly is still in uh, transit about that. But, um, you know, uh, uh, this article mentions Mark Elias, and I had a real quick brief on Elias. Um, as we know, he left Perkins Coie. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty possible that they will bring him in uh, or indict, maybe possibly even indict him. You know, I'm not I'm not too uh, I couldn't say for sure on that matter. Uh, but uh, his role in all of this, I mean, as it mentioned, he hired Fusion GPS. The dossier was fake. All of that stuff wrapped into one. Um, but uh, Mark Elias, um, as we know, a uh, huge lefty, you know, has has uh, supported the causes of progressives and, uh, you know, left lefty Democrats, Democrats, uh communist sympathizers for a very long time. You know, he's he's got a track record not only working with the Clinton campaign and working with Podestas, uh, and also, you know, he was one of the key figures that, you know, swept into Arizona to try and uh, put the kibosh on the Arizona forensic audit that was happening there. Um, he's also, uh, he's also, uh, it seems like he's also been one of the main manufacturers of, of the thought process and for laying the groundwork on how to, uh, how to quail any advances, uh, in regards to the United States constitution, in regards to, um, our Republic and, and the likes, you know, I mean, everything from, um, you know, election interference, uh, to stopping election integrity, you know, and, and so forth. Now, recently he actually made a statement and watch out guys, put your swamp creature glasses on. Cause we got, uh, Mark Elias here. Recently, he's made a statement 
um, about uh, about um, those who are running for office. Most specifically, he's talking about Republicans who are running for office. And uh, he's basically saying to the effect that uh, it, it should be in this, uh, this great American electoral process uh, that only those who are verified and approved Republicans should be able to run for office. And that to me says a lot. Uh, it, it says that uh, the establishment is running scared because as President Trump has said also, there are still a lot of rhinos in, uh, in the White House. Maybe not as many as there used to be, but there's still a lot of rhinos, you know. And uh, so they need those approved Republicans to be able to run for office. I mean, how they're going to figure that out, I don't know. Oh, wait. Mark Elias has already looked into how this could be litigated. According to the Constitution, let's see what this uh, let's see what this treasonous SOB had to say. Uh, this comes from his Twitter, believe it or not. So uh, Mark Elias says, "My prediction for 2022: Before the midterm election, we will have a serious discussion about whether individual Republican House members are disqualified by Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment." from serving in Congress. Uh, he says, we may even see litigation. Now, here's what Section 3 of Amendment 14 says. The C report is 100% listener supported. If you enjoy the broadcasting that we bring to you with the C report and other shows on this podcasting platform, we ask that listeners lend their support become a monthly donor when you go to anchor.fm slash the C report slash support or click on the support button over there at the anchor.fm slash the C report website where you can help sustain future episodes of the C report and other broadcasting on this podcast station. Every bit helps ladies and gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your support. Section 3 says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. So you see, it's kind of like how uh, they were trying to set up all of these parameters to keep President Trump from running uh, in office again, like when they tried to do the whole a president who has been impeached twice can never run for any type of public office ever again. And uh, I mean, this to me is panic right here when uh, they are going so far as to say that they're going to put some type of a uh, requirement, you know, I mean, on on who's going to run for office. But then to use 
uh, this cop-out of an excuse as an insurrection, of course. And they're just milking the entire insurrection thing, ladies and gentlemen. But why do you think you have, and like I said, I mean, I feel like he's a real manufacturer of their progressive thought on how to defeat America, right? Like, uh, they get a lot of their stuff from this guy, is what I'm thinking. Um, he, he's really, he's really, uh, he's really, uh, you know, uh, future thought on how to, uh, how to, uh, foible any attempts to restore our Republic. Um, they are saying, Mark Elias is saying this and, and trying to use, uh, this section of the amendments, um, because they know, they know rhinos are on the way out, ladies and gentlemen, it's rhino hunting season. We've already got plenty of heads mounted on the wall, so to speak, right? taxidermy dogs um but the american people people who love this country save america america first people are running okay which makes me think you know in regards to the timelines that we're seeing in regards to the time that it's taking for our republic to be restored for justice to be served to get that illegitimate joke out of, uh, you know, out of the White House soundstage, right? Since that's where he's at. What if, if, what if we are the plan and what if they've been waiting for enough of us to run to fill those offices, you know, like, uh, because after all, I mean, just like if, uh, January 6th and January 20th hadn't happened, uh, we would have had no way to really try to secure our elections and get rid of the fraud. It's only because January 6th and January 20th happened that we see clearly now all of the various ways that they committed the fraud and we've taken the roads necessary in order to, to uh, stop it, expose it, curtail it, and prevent it from ever happening again. If... Um, that hadn't happened, we never would have seen it. And then, and then everything would have been in vain because our elections would still not be secure, right? Well, if they were to uh, turn, the, turn the switch, right? And, and let's say it's like, uh, you know, a military thing, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, the White Hats really are in charge. Uh, say, they, say they did that six months ago. Six months ago, we didn't have nearly the America first candidates running for office. We didn't have nearly the amount of people who are actually uh, getting impassioned enough to do something about it, to, to actually run for office, to try and do something. Uh, and then we would have had the same old rhinos and the same old career politicians. And yeah, we would have had, we would be fighting to get them out and to expose them, but we need people to take their positions. And it seems like more and more, um, we're seeing people coming out of nowhere who are, who are, uh, running against incumbents, right? And I, you know, I was going through, um, I was going through a, a Texas, um, a news organization website that I, I turn to every now and then. And I swear that at least within the month of December, they had like five or six different articles that were talking about, uh, you know, um, um, elected officials who were getting, uh, people running against them and, and no one had run against that, that they, they had been uncontested for like you know, a decade or more, you know, so we're seeing more and more people getting politically active and wanting to do something uh, at least as much as they can to try and help and save this country. So maybe there's something to it, right? Maybe there's something to call me crazy, 
But maybe there's something to it. Maybe, you know, they need enough of us awake in America and the world, right? They need enough of us awake. So this way, when they flip that switch, they know that there is a better fighting chance, you know, um, and they need enough of us awake. So this way, when they when they exterminate the house, right, and they get them out of there, they don't have empty offices. They have people who can fill those seats. The same thing with those uh, quo warrantos guys. If they were to decertify the elections based on uh, the lack of certification of the voting machines for 2018 and 2020, which legally and lawfully it should happen, they still need people to fill those positions because every single person on that ballot will effectively be removed, okay? That means we'll be out of judges, we'll be out of commissioners, we'll be out of uh, governors, we'll be out of representatives, we'll be out of senators, we'll be out of any elected office based on the fact that the machines were not certified for the 2018 and 2020 elections, guys. And then we'll have no one in office and then we'll just fall apart, right? We'll, we'll slip into a state of anarchy probably or something like that. But uh, anyways, guys, now that, that's a little dramatic, a little drastic. I don't think that our brothers and sisters in this country, no matter what side of the political line they stand on, unless they're on the West Coast or the East Coast, uh, Northeast, uh, okay, New York or the West Coast uh, would probably not. And maybe Chicago, you know, or Illinois, they like, they, they like their, their looting over there. So uh, uh, their standards are a little bit lower than the rest of the country, I would say. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does that real quick. Uh, I wanted to thank you all again. Uh, Shanjo, Rillanon, WC Cranop. Oh, boy. You guys tossing your cookies over there, huh? <laughs> thank you, guys. I much definitely appreciate uh, the donations to the show. We'll keep on going. It looks like I missed a few others. from, And we've got a phone in the house. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. All right, guys. Let's talk about Russia. Okay, let me uh, let me wet my whistle here real quick. All right, now I'm ready to go. Okay, so why are we going to talk about Russia? Because I like to uh, I like to stir the pot. Ah, just kidding. Uh, a wise man once said, "Just never forget, Mister C. Anyone who stirs the pot has to lick the spoon." Oh, I lick the spoon. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, you know, the whole thing with uh, international news is uh, who do you trust, right? Uh, because we have the mainstream talking outlets and their talking points telling us one thing, right? Then we have international news sources that we have to parse through and figure out uh, if they're legit, if they're, you know, propaganda, what's going on with that. Then also to the fact that we're not actually over there. I'm not in Russia or Ukraine, so... I mean, I could not verify anything for a fact, but um, I like to present alternate perspectives to um, the mainstream story that's coming out. And uh, something about Russia just really concerned me because I, I just keep thinking in my head that we're just hearing uh, whispers of war and we're hearing people want to go to war. And we know historically speaking, almost as if like uh, on a schedule, anytime the globalist deep state, new world order, whatever you want to call them, get themselves into a spot. Okay. They can always rely on a handy dandy war to cast a cloud over anything that's been transpiring and to cover it up so they can move forward with whatever it is their agenda is at that time. 
Now, we're hearing a lot of prattle about Russia and Ukraine right now. Uh, we are hearing uh, the the number one thing we are hearing is Russia is getting ready to attack Ukraine. Russia is getting ready to attack Ukraine. Um, and so I just had to stop and and kind of take a step back uh, and, and really consider what is what what could be going on. I'm not going to say what is going on. I'm not going to say the information I'm about to share with you is 100% fact and proven. What I will say, though, is I do not trust the deep state department. I do not trust the mainstream, lamestream, fake news media. Okay, and I do not trust NATO. All right. So I'm going to look for an alternate story about what could possibly be going on in the Russia-Ukraine situation. Okay. now. I've talked a little bit about uh, some of the histories of Russia, and I know a lot of people in my audience are very familiar with it. Um, in my perspective, through my own research, you know, I've come to the conclusion that Russia is a big enemy of the globalists, the New World Order, the elitists, the, uh, the bloodthirsty pagan baby eaters, right? Um, and that they are basically, uh, they are enemies, ladies and gentlemen. Russia's kicked them out. Russia don't like them. Russia's clean house of people who were influenced by the globalist elites in their country. And I'm not saying that they got rid of all of them, but uh, from my research, that is what I've seen. Okay. Uh, we know that when President Trump was in office, that he took the same stance. He was freeing up America, restoring it to the rightful republic that it was, pushing aside that 1870-something document that turned us into a corporation and put us under the control of the British crown, okay? Like, that is what was going on. And let's not forget, President Putin did hand President Trump that soccer ball, mm? okay? So uh, where I kind of get a little bit uh, clouded is on uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Because um, I haven't kept up with Ukraine since Trump. And uh, we all know the last big thing coming out of Ukraine was the uh, President Trump, President Zelensky phone call. That was the world's most perfect phone call that, uh, you know, the Democrats and other communist sympathizers and progressives tried to get him impeached over and literally and shamefully embarrassed the heck out of themselves. Uh, but we also know that President Zelensky is a populist president and that he replaced the globalist-backed elitist-run president prior to. He was the choice of the people. He was an ally of President Trump. And he was also working to get the globalist interests out of Ukraine. Okay, But then there's also this cloud of history between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, where we see that Russia has invaded, you know, we're talking about the Crimea. Uh, there was also the conflict in Georgia and stuff. So they have their own history there, which adds even bigger into the mix. Okay. All right. Are you guys following me so far? Okay. So, but here's the thing though, prior to President Zelensky and President Trump, the Ukraine, not the Ukraine, Ukraine was basically a base of operations for the globalist backed operate operatives of the United States doing their dirty work in the Ukraine. I'm talking about Obama. I'm talking about those administrations, even even uh, the Clinton's administration and stuff like that. We had bad actors, the treasonous SOBs who've infected this country and this republic doing their dirty work in Ukraine and basically using Ukraine as a springboard for their operations, whether that was uh, 
cyber warfare, whether that was tactical military positions in uh, that section of the world. Uh, and I wouldn't doubt uh, it was a lot to um, also kind of piss off Russia, because don't forget these globalist uh, backed uh, individuals like Obama and the Clintons are basically going to be the enemies of Russia as uh, Russia is the enemy of the globalists. Okay. And that is also why I believe that Russia has been painted as our number one adversary. And that's why we hear Russia, 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 because they have to keep the United States and Russia fighting with each other. Because if the United States and Russia were to team up as they almost did with President Trump, they would kick the tail out of the globalists and the new world order. And it would be curtains for them. I think quite literally if they could pull it off optically with all of the propaganda that would spew forth about what's going on. And indeed, that is exactly what we're seeing happening in Russia right now. The propaganda machine is rolling, ladies and gentlemen. They are getting us ready for conflict. Everyone from the, the, the typical cast of characters like MSDNC and the Communist News Network all the way through to Fox News. And it's even slipping into the independent paper. Patriots. Why well, say take a step back and get some perspective, okay? Because if the mainstream media is pushing this storyline, there's got to be another reason for it. Now, I cannot tell you what that reason is, but what I would speculate is they want a war. They want conflict. We have the we have Ukraine as a country who is now being considered to be a member of NATO, okay? Now, Russia has made it specifically clear that Ukraine cannot become a member of NATO. Russia's concern right now is that their safety and security is going to be impeded by having war machines at their border with the backing of NATO and the rest of their allies, including the United States now, because don't forget, President Trump was get was defunding NATO by, from the, the United States, basically parting with them. And he was done with NATO. Okay. And, uh, and now we see that we have, uh, you know, Biden, you know, and his, uh, his, um, his, his junta, uh, uh, supposedly running things, uh, that we're seeing NATO really starting to back Ukraine as, um, as a member of its nation, which is really, it is it is the red line. It is the line in the sand for Russia. Okay, that was part of the terms of their agreement. Now, now I'm not just talking for nothing, ladies and gentlemen. We got some articles to back up all of this information, of course. Uh, so, I think what I would like we would we would consider first is uh, in this in this uh, this supposed conflict that's coming. Okay. This supposed attack that Russia is gearing up on Ukraine. Like they, this is literally the storyline. Russia is going to attack. Okay. And there, there are articles out there from the, from Ukraine and President Zelensky that says, for example, last month, at the beginning of this month, Ukraine had intelligence information that Russia was about to uh, commit a coup, a bona fide coup against President Zelensky and Ukraine and invade it, okay? But their, their intelligence is coming from United States agencies, ladies and gentlemen, and we already know how the three-lettered agencies work here in this country, and they always have another motive behind everything that they do. Now, I, I would just say, generically speaking, the main issue here is they need to start a war 
we got midterms coming up, right? Uh, and then, you know, and then 2024 will be right quick behind that. And they need, they need a conflict. They need a war right now. And that's what I think, because if Russia attacks Ukraine, like they say they are, like they're 100% sure it's coming. They're saying it's going to happen uh, sometime in the month of January, okay? Then you're going to have the United States and other NATO allies backing up Ukraine. We'll get involved in the conflict. And then who knows who's going to back up Russia? I don't want to say it's going to be China, but who knows, ladies and gentlemen, who knows where it could go from there? Um, I think we should consider NATO's role in this specifically. But, but just as an example of the fear porn that is going on out there, ladies and gentlemen, about Russia and Ukraine, it's, it's rather sickening, guys, uh, exactly what we're seeing. J- just take a look. Take a look. So I typed in Russia, Ukraine, and here's what we get. Russia's aggression against Ukraine is backfiring. Uh, let's pass through that one. Uh, Russia will strike Ukraine soon. Uh, Fox News. Biden and Putin hold calls. Let's see. Uh, UK, uh, Ukraine, uh, Russia tensions. That's from CNN. Oh, really? Come on. Let's get to the good juice. Uh, Russian foreign minister warns at West uh, over aggression. The Guardian. Um, let's see here. Uh, why Russia will invade Ukraine. Uh, news at Yahoo. Russia reportedly adds more tanks. New York Post. Uh, Russia plans Ukraine invasion in early 2022. Fox News, Ukraine crisis, news on Russia's military aggression, uh, NBC. Um, let's see. Uh, what America has to lose. Uh, Putin warns Biden out of complete. Uh, or, or, there's there's more. Uh, well, let's go to page three. OK. Uh, Russia will strike Ukraine soon. Um, let's see here. Okay, thousands of Russian troops uh, withdrawing Ukraine-Russia tensions, latest news. Russia will strike Ukraine soon. Uh, Russian foreign military uh, levels new warning on Ukraine. Ukraine crisis. Russia preparing to attack U- uh, Ukraine by late January. Um, let's see here. Next page. Oh, more results. That's better. No signs of Russia de-escalating on Ukraine border. Um, Let's see. Russia-Ukraine tensions. Why Russia is putting tens of thousands of troops on the border. Russia warns U.S. to stay out. Um, Let's see here. If Russia invades Ukraine, here's who would win. Uh, What's behind the Russia-Ukraine tensions? Is Russia preparing to invade Ukraine? Conflict in Ukraine. Uh, Let's see. uh, U.S. won't rule out troops in Ukraine. Uh, why Ukrainians are preparing for all-out war with Russia. Why is Russia massing troops on the Ukraine border? Let's see. Ukraine holds drills after general warns of Russian attack. NATO warns Russia over Ukraine. Um, let's see here. Russian forces are massing on Ukraine's border. Um, <clears throat> Russia is, isn't about to attack that. We'll, we'll talk about that article in a minute. Russian troops at Ukraine border. Russia's threatening Ukraine with destruction. Um, Let's see here. Russia is set to launch winter invasion. Uh, What's behind Russia's military buildup? Russia amasses troops near U.S. ally Ukraine. U.S. reportedly warns Europe of potential Ukraine invasion. Satellite photos raise concern of Russia's military. Is Russia going to invade uh, Ukraine? <clears throat> uh, let's see here. Uh, Russia-Ukraine tensions. Russia, uh, Russia plans a major warship assault to cut off Ukraine. Uh, 
Well, I think you get the idea, ladies and gentlemen, but they're a much more alarmist sounding. To me, these aren't as alarmist as the ones I was reading earlier, but uh, I think you get the idea. All of them are setting up the narrative that Russia is going to strike, Russia is threatening, Russia is going to cause a conflict, Russia is going to invade, Russia, Russia, Russia wants to take over Ukraine, okay? And so uh, this is something that's floating around out there right now, but I just found it interesting that when I started doing, you know, kind of looking into these articles that all of, uh, like so many articles were just spilling out talking about how Russia is going to invade and it's Russia who's being the aggressor, okay? And it's Russia who wants to uh, invade and take over Ukraine, right? And that's kind of the story that we're hearing mostly, all right? To what end though, right? To what end? So, all right, pulling that one back. Okay, that was not as effective as I was hoping it would have been, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, thank you for looking at that. So uh, let's take a look first at this article. This is, gonna, this is a brief about NATO, okay? Because like I said, I feel like NATO should definitely be uh, considered when we're talking about this conflict that they are, they're, they're building this narrative, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and it's just so, and who knows how it, it, it could be set off? Because let me just say at the outset of this, Russia's already said they are not going to invade. Now, of course, if someone's going to invade, they're not going to be like, yeah, we're going to invade next week on Tuesday, right? I mean, obviously, they'll lie. And I, again, I am not predicting or specifying specifically what is going on over there. I'm just presenting an alternate viewpoint to the narrative that the propaganda machine is putting out for all of us uh, to sup up and believe. And in international news, this is harder to do. So I just like to present a different narrative. And this is the narrative that I found. Uh, the World Tribune on, um, on NATO. Uh, so let's consider this food for thought just a moment. Okay, we'll start right here. It says, uh, the Transatlantic Military Alliance was created in 1949. Its goal was to deter Stalin's Soviet Union for invading Western Europe. And for over 50 years, NATO accomplished its mission. The Soviet Empire in Eastern Europe was contained. Communism was eventually defeated. And the USSR disintegrated into 50 nations. The Soviet Union is long gone. The Red Army was rolled back from Central Europe. Lenin's statue has fallen. NATO, however, remains. Instead of dismantling the military alliance, Washington, drunk with power following the end of the Cold War, expanded NATO to Russia's borders. President George H.W. Bush promised Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev that should the Russians pull out of Eastern Europe, the West would not take advantage and push the alliance to Moscow's doorstep. America lied. Under the administrations of Bill Clinton and George W. Bush, the United States brought former Soviet satellites under NATO's umbrella. Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Bulgaria, Romania, and the Baltic states. In fact, many inside the Beltway have even called for Ukraine and Georgia to join NATO. This means that we had been foolish enough to let this happen. Uh, had we been foolish enough to let this happen, we'd be obligated to, we'd be, obligated to be currently at war with Russia. NATO expansion has not only needlessly inflamed and humiliated the Russian bear, but it represents a worldview frozen in the past. 
Military alliances are not meant to last forever. They have a particular aim for a particular time. The Cold War is over. The West's biggest threat, contrary to the hysteria of the liberal media, is not Putin's Russia. It is the rise of a radical Islam. And in this existential struggle against Islamic terrorism, Vladimir Putin, for all his flaws, is not an enemy. He is a potential ally, especially against the Islamic State of Iraq and Levant in Syria. Now, for perspective, uh, this article came to us on... Give me a date. Give me a date. Good job, World Tribune. You didn't give me a date. Okay, so well, this, this article is dated, obviously. So I would say, just for, just for you know, uh, hoots and hollers, why don't we say this? Uh, the West's biggest threat, contrary to the hysteria of the liberal media, is not Putin's Russia. It is the globalist elite um, transhumanists, right? And in this extension, ex existential struggle against the globalist elite transhumanists, Vladimir Putin, for all his flaws, is not our enemy. He is a potential ally. Okay, do you guys see where I'm going with this? Like, that, that's, the, that's, like the, uh, that's kind of like the, the template that I refer to when I'm looking at, you know, world geopolitics. Uh, we all have a common enemy here, and those are, again, the globalist elitists, pedophile, baby-eater people. Um, and, uh, and then we have, uh, they have varied histories with other nations, not just the United States, obviously, and Russia, and they have been in conflict for quite some time. Uh, so that is, uh, that is just a little bit of a perspective. Let me see if there's anything else here I wanted to share. Um, let's see here. Uh, it is also time for the proud people of Eastern Europe, Poles, Czechs, Hungarians, Croats, uh, Ukrainians, Lithuanians to take responsibility for defending their own countries, right? And that was also part of uh, President Trump's shtick. Like uh, we were being, it was uh, very unfair, the amount of money we were paying into NATO to uh, protect everybody when uh, no one else was uh, paying their fair share. And I think that uh, maybe he was using that uh, in order to uh, ease the departure from NATO, at least initially, uh, in that regard. So, okay, let's go ahead and uh, see what we got next for you guys. So that is a little bit about NATO. For perspective is why I shared that again. Okay. So now we're going to take a look at some articles uh, that come to us from Madarasha, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this comes from Sputnik. Okay. So again, the articles I'll be sharing with you all are for perspective. Okay. Not diehard facts, not diehard truth. Um, but again, I mean, when it comes to what the mainstream media is trying to tell us, right? the Mockingbird media, you know, the legacy news uh, versus what could really be uh, there. I mean, they're already painting Russia as the bad guy. They're saying they're the aggressor. They're saying Russia wants to go after Ukraine. OK, so what el what else is going on here? Right. Uh, this article from Sputnik says, saith Lavrov to Sputnik, Russia will take measures to eliminate threats if United States ignores security proposals. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Is this really over NATO, right? Uh, and, and them uh, bringing Ukraine into NATO? Um, or is that just kind of like uh, the catalyst of this conflict um, 
but there's, uh, but I think it's just because they want a war. Honestly, I just think it's because they want a war is the reason why I really feel like they're doing this. But uh, again, what do I know? Uh, it says here, um, Russia's proposals on security guarantees are aimed at creating and legalizing a new system of agreement in the field of security. Former Minister Sergei Lavrov told Sputnik, Moscow will take measures to ensure strategic balance and eliminate threats if the United States and NATO do not respond to the proposals on security guarantees in an adequate time frame, Russia's top diplomat has stressed. Uh, Lavrov told Sputnik, if a constructive response does not follow within a reasonable time and the West continues its aggressive line, then Russia will be forced to take all necessary measures to ensure a strategic balance and eliminate unacceptable threats to our security. The foreign minister mentioned that Moscow's proposal on security guarantees envision the non-expansion of NATO to the east and deployment of strike weapons near Russia's border, but they all contain other elements that in the end should form those very reliable, legally binding security guarantees. Uh, Lavrov continues, our proposals are aimed at creating and legalizing a new system of agreement based on the principle of the indiv indivis indivisibility of security and abandonment of attempts to achieve military superiority, which was approved unanimously by the leaders of all Euro-Atlantic states in the 1990s. I would like to emphasize that what we need is legally binding guarantees since our Western colleagues systematically fail to fulfill political obligations not to mention voiced assurance and promises given to Soviet and Russian leaders. Uh, participation of high-ranking military personnel of the United States and the countries of the NATO alliance is fundamentally important to us, Lavrov said, adding that Russia will not allow the U.S. and NATO to delay the process with endless discussions. Uh, the foreign minister's comments follow a phone conversation between illegitimate jokes. We're not going to go into that. Okay, so uh, there's that, guys. And the rest of the article, they basically talk about uh, Putin and Biden. So we're not going to waste our time with that. Uh, we all know Putin's saying, you better stop it. Uh, next one is another Sputnik article. We'll bring up to the board. Okay, so uh, this one says... NATO is transforming Ukraine into military foothold against Russia, Lavrov tells Sputnik. Uh, this is dated uh, 17 hours ago. Uh, the Russian foreign minister criticized the alliance for backing Kiev's militaristic aspirations and stressed there will be an adequate response to any possible military provocations carried out by Ukraine. Uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has told Sputnik that NATO is trying to use Kiev as a tool against Russia. Okay, let's keep in mind, NATO is a globalist, elitist uh, organization, right? NATO members' states are systematically transforming Ukraine into a military foothold against Russia, building their bases there, using its territory to conduct exercises, if this, uh, if this year there were seven such maneuvers, then in the coming year, according to a law adopted by the Verkhovna Rada, the parliament of Ukraine, 10 drills are planned, including one year-round exercise, Lavrov said. He noted that the number of troops participating in drills in Ukraine will double in 2022 and reach 64,000. Okay, so Ukraine's already on the border there. 
they're already uh, they're already doing uh, uh, doing drills and exercises, and and it gets juicier, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the minister also said that the Ukrainian government has no intention of ending a military conflict with the self-proclaimed republics that has been plaguing the country since 2014. The civil war, which has been uh, going on for the eighth year in Ukraine, is far from over. The country's authorities are not going to take steps to resolve the conflict in Donbass on the uncontested by basis of the Minsk package of measures, Lavrov said. According to him, the Ukrainian authorities consider support from NATO as carte blanche for a military operation. As for the residents of Donbass, uh, where hundreds of thousands of citizens of our country live, Russia will take all the necessary measures to protect them. We will continue to make efforts to resolve the internal Ukrainian conflict by political and diplomatic means, says, uh, said Lavrov. The minister added that uh, there will be an adequate response to any possible military provocations from Kiev. Uh, the tensions between Moscow and Kiev uh, previously resulted in media reports claiming that Russia is planning to invade Ukraine, which the Kremlin blasted as alarmism. Russia stressed it can relocate its troops within its own territory, while NATO's military activity near the country's border poses a threat to its security. At the same time, Moscow came forward with security guarantee proposals in a bid to stop the, deter the, the deterioration of ties. On December 17th, Russia released draft agreements which include mutual security guarantees in Europe, non-deployment of short and intermediate range missiles within reach of each other's territory, and NATO's non-expansion eastward. It is expected that the proposals will be discussed during the Russia-U.S. talks in Geneva scheduled on 10 January, as well as during the Russia-NATO Council on January 12th. So isn't this interesting, ladies and gentlemen? So while we have the mainstream, lamestream, fake news legacy media, while we have the deep state department, while we have NATO and we have the allies, right, of them, um, all saying that Russia is going to attack, Russia's amassing thousands and thousands of troops on the border, Russia is the aggressor. According to this article, Russia drafted an agreement for basically uh, securities and guarantees on both sides of the fence. Something that you're not hearing in the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy, mockingbird media, okay? Now, I'm not taking Putin's side, all right? I'm just saying how curious that this bit of information has not made it, but yet the fear-mongering and the war-mongering is still rolling forward. Which, to me, tells me they'll probably strike Russia first. And in the mainstream media, they're going to tell us that Russia uh, just struck Ukraine, right? And uh, now we're at war, okay? I, I mean, I, I can already see that happening. But the main question here I think we could ask to, uh, to gather whether or not NATO is actually making um, uh, Ukraine into a military foothold against Russia is... Um, uh, are they are they really uh, are they really doing such a thing? Is is NATO really gearing up Ukraine to be that stepping stone for them to attack the Kremlin? Well, this article here from Ukraine Form, this is Ukrainian uh, media company, talks a little bit about that. So uh, the the title of their story here is Defense Minister Defense Ministry refutes Kremlin's fakes about U.S. military 
chemical weapons in Donetsk region. Ah, so the plot thickens. So now what we're going to see is Russia is claiming that they have monitored the United States um, bringing in chemical weapons into Ukraine. Okay, uh, but this article refutes that. So let's just see what it says so we can get the information. Okay, it says uh, the statement spread by the Russian military leadership about the allegedly reliable, reliably established presence of more than 120 employees of American private military companies, contractors in Avidyitka and Priyazovsky in Donetsk region is deliberate disinformation. The corresponding statement was made by the Center of Operational Information of the Ministry of Defense. There are no private military companies, including foreign ones in Ukraine, apart from those used by the Russian Federation in the temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine. All right, here we go. Uh, it begins again. There are no private military companies, including foreign ones in Ukraine, apart from those used by the Russian Federation in the temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine. The other allegation of delivery of reserves of an unidentified chemical component for provocations in the town of Avid Yitka and uh, Lyman's is also untrue. The defense ministry states, adding that the only threat to peace and security of Ukrainian citizens and territories comes from Russian occupation forces who violate the ceasefire, kill Ukrainian citizens, and block the work of the intentional mission. Okay. So um, the article goes on to talk about the rest of that and uh, some of these agreements that they've had in the past. Let's fast forward to another one. This also comes from the same news outlet in the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine form, I'm guessing. I apologize on my uh, pronunciations here. It says, uh, whoops, MFA Ukraine on American Americans and chemical weapons in Donbass, Russia creating information uh, cover for provocation. So there, so what they're saying here is that Russia is lying. So this way they can, you know, uh, they can invade under, under this, uh, this lie. Is it true? I don't know. I'm just sharing you guys the information. Uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine categorically rejects Russia's insinuations about the alleged chemical weapons instructors uh, with American private military companies and shelling of residential neighborhoods in eastern Ukraine. And uh, that is in accordance with um, uh, the foreign ministry spokesman Ole Nikolenko. Nikolenko. Okay. Okay. So that is their side of the story. Now, the last thing that we'll share from this news agency Uh, this one talks about how the Ukrainian troops have received over 3,000 units of weapons and equipment this year. And this is dated uh, December 17th. Okay. So again, the question was, is NATO turning the Ukraine into a military foothold to strike Russia? Okay. This article says Ukrainian troops receive over 3,000 units of weapons and equipment this year. Now, keep in mind... Ukraine's gotten a lot of support from the United States with Trump and now with NATO possibly uh, having them join their ranks. They're getting a lot of military support. So you're going to be looking at a Russia-Ukraine conflict and Ukraine's not going to be the weak little state it used to be. Now, could they win against Russia? I, I don't know. Maybe not. But, uh, but it would definitely be a fight. Okay.
Now, um, here's, here's some interesting stuff, guys, to, to kind of answer that question. We're not going to read any of these articles. We're just going to look at the headlines and uh, consider whether or not NATO is turning Ukraine into a military stronghold. Okay. Let's see. This will be much more reliable than what I did on DuckDuckGo. I promise. Okay. Uh, so it says here um, some examples. Uh, we have uh, almost 100 tanks deployed outside storage sites in occupied parts of this region. Um, okay. Uh, and and one AN-178-100P aircraft presented in Kiev. So this is about them uh, getting air, uh, new aircrafts right here. They're getting new aircrafts. We have, um, where are you at? Where are you? I know there's more here. We have the French military arriving in the ports outside of Odessa here. <clears throat> Where are you at? Okay. Uh, they have three Airbus helicopters for border guards arriving in Ukraine from France. So they're definitely getting some help from France. Ukrainian troops first time use uh, Javelin in training Donbass. Okay, so the, the anti-tank missiles, they receive those. They're training with them now. Okay, um, that's the same article. Okay, new Navy boats may arrive in the port through the Kerch Strait. Ukrainian troops receive over 3,000 units of weapons and equipment this year. Ukrainian military get upgraded BMP-2 AFVs. U.S. Senate uh, approves defense bill with $300 million in military aid to Ukraine. Ukrainian army trains to repel tank attacks near uh, occupied uh, Crimea. Ukraine-Sweden sign updated agreement on defense cooperation. French Navy frigate enters the Black Sea. Let's see here. Uh, in first, USAF Air Force RC-135 plane flies over Ukraine media. U.S. on have, uh, javelins in eastern Ukraine. They are entirely defensive in nature. Okay. And the like. So, you know, they're receiving a lot of military aid. They're receiving weapons. They're receiving support from other NATO-allied nations. 
Um, so, I mean, there's, there's some cause for concern for the security of Russia in their perspective, you know, and, and you know, they're a sovereign nation themselves, uh, regardless of, uh, what they're going to do, you know, I mean, if, if they're going to attack and invade America at some point, you know, if they want to do that, I mean, well, they'll, they'll have to deal with, uh, uh, the American military, but I mean, uh, under Joe Biden, uh, it seems like now would be the time for them to strike, right? Like, but uh, so there's that. So, I mean, that, that's where I think some of that concern is coming. And of course, we have this article here, U.S. Canada mole steps in case of Russia's aggression against Ukraine, the State Department. And uh, basically what I want to take away from that is in this article, again, it talks about how um, the Kremlin is saying that they are not going to attack. So uh, and you know, they could be lying. But I mean, that is just uh, that is just a perspective. It says uh, right here, Western countries and the Kiev uh, uh, regime have been spreading allegations lately about Russia's potential invasion of Ukraine. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov castigated these speculations as an empty and groundless escalation of tension. He did not rule out the probability of provocations to justify such allegations and warned that attempts to resolve the crisis in southeastern Ukraine through military means would have serious consequences. We'll skip to the next one. This is from uh, U Observer. Russia not planning to attack Ukraine, Ambassador says. Uh, Russia is not planning an attack on anybody. Russia's veteran uh, EU Ambassador Vladimir uh, Chishov has pledged. I can confirm to you that no Russian troops are in a position preparing to enter Ukraine, he told EU Observer in Brussels this week. Why should Europe be so concerned about non-existent plans and given certain troop movements within Russia's own territory? Asked if a flare-up in ongoing fighting in Donbass in East Ukraine could be a uh, casus belli for fresh Russian military intervention, he also said Russia has a policy of supporting Russian speaker, speakers, compa uh, compatriots who live in other countries, but Russia has never said it intends to do that by military means. Uh, Chishov spoke after the US and EU warned Moscow was positioning forces for a new attack on Ukraine. They also warned Russian President Vladimir Putin he would face a shutdown of his Nord Stream 2 pipeline to Germany and lose access to international banking if he did so. Russia first invaded in 2014 and has had thousands of official and unofficial forces in Ukraine's Crimea and Donbass regions. And it goes on a little bit about the history. Um, and then uh, let me see here. I got one more article. Okay. And uh, this one is from foreignpolicy.com. So uh, this says uh, Russia is not about to attack Ukraine. And uh, this talks about why. It says Moscow occupying its neighbor would be expensive, dangerous, and pointless. Over the last few weeks, there's been an increased chatter in the Western press about Russian military moves in its southern region. Numerous units, including combined arms battalions of the 1st Guards Tank Army, have reportedly been deployed to the region near Ukraine. And the West is so alarmed that the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, warned Russia on November 10th against any renewed aggression against Ukraine. 
But is Russia actually about to attack Ukraine? The answer, based on the empirical evidence, seems to be a resounding no. These moves might be disturbing, especially given Russia's history in Ukraine, but they do, they do not presage war. First of all, Russia has made no effort to conceal the movement of these forces, both in transit and when they arrive. Commercial satellite imagery shows military units arrayed in vehicle parks and encampments without any camouflage or concealment. A real offensive would take far more care, and it would have other warning signs such as increased air defense systems deployed and activation of reserve units. Russia has concentrated troops in its southern province since April, but the slow pace of deployment seems to indicate a general shift of Russian forces into its western and southern military districts. The two command regions of Russia's five regional commands close to the potential conflict zone. The deployment then can be viewed as a far larger change in Russia's general strategic deployment than a sudden buildup for a renewed offensive. To be sure, Russia may have in part viewed the very unconcealed rotation and drilling of units as a way to rattle its sabers at the West during a time of heightened tension. Both the recent Black Sea military exercises undertaken this summer by the U.S. Navy and several partners and the increasingly tense Belarus border crisis make this an uncertain time. Yet a renewed invasion of Ukraine or even a drastic escalation in hostilities by Russian-backed forces is a foolish prospect for several reasons. The Ukrainian army at this point is experienced, modernized, and highly motivated. It would not, it would not be a pushover, and any war in addition to being extremely costly in terms of troops and material would have a high chance of bringing in others, and it would have a terrifying chance of going nuclear. Even if Russia did manage to occupy Ukraine, what would it get out of it? Occupations are expensive, dangerous, and often fruitless, as the United States discovered in Iraq and Afghanistan. Russia's current occupations of South Ossetia, um, Abkhazia, and Crimea are expensive, but they are viable because there is an element of the local population. Oh, come on. Oh, man, I thought they put a paywall up on me. I was like, what? Could they hear me reading? Okay, sorry, guys. Let's just finish this up real quick so we can roll on out of here. Um, where do we leave off? Okay, so uh, as it was saying about uh, South Ossetia and Crimea and why it's viable, okay, um, it's viable because there is an element of the local population there that welcomes Russia, okay? This welcome is a byproduct of the complicated cultural legacies of the post-Soviet states, such a dynamic does not exist in Western Ukraine, which has made its preference for the West abundantly clear. A renewed war against Ukraine then would only be to Russia's detriment, and it would tie down large quantities of resources that Russia cannot afford to spend. It would permanently alienate Russia from Europe and make any movement on a sanctions relief, a prospect that may be gradually becoming more feasible, a political impossibility, Russia has absolutely nothing to gain from invading Ukraine, but it has a fair amount to lose. Of course, Russia has recently uh, a recent history of invading its neighbors from Georgia in 2008 to the hostilities in Ukraine in 2014. But while these invasions happened, they did not come out of the blue, nor were they simply a revanchism or expansionism for its own sake. Okay. And then it goes to talk about uh, the Georgia conflict and uh, South Ossetia. 
and uh, just kind of giving uh, a general reason about why uh, this might just be Western propaganda. To what end? Well, I mean, I guess we'll find out um, as time moves along, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but uh, I, I was primarily just interested in sharing this information with you guys because, again, um, the mainstream propaganda has consistently pitted Russia against us and they have used Russia as an aggressor in all instances. Now, again, I'm not saying Russia is perfect. You know, I'm not saying I love Russia or Putin, right? Um, but it's fair to share this information for perspective. Because um, in, the, in the bigger scheme of things, you know, when we're trying to find out the real truth about what's going on in this world, and how things are actually being played. I find it interesting because um, if if this conflict does happen next month, next year, haha, in a few in a few hours, a couple hours less, uh, as they promise, I just I can see them blaming it on Russia. But you know who knows? Maybe uh, maybe they attack Russia first. But they've already set the groundwork for us to believe that Russia is being the aggressor, and we're seeing it out of all out of all of the news media outlets, um, all the way from the Mockingbird down to some of the independents. That is the story that we're seeing coming out of Russia and Ukraine. And the, the thing that's most uh, striking about this, I think, is that, um, you know, they get away with this propaganda. They get away with spinning these lies and people just eat it up. You know, they just eat it up. So, uh, you know, this this article says U.S. denies Russian claims on Ukraine rhetoric. So they're talking about the chemicals in that one again. Uh, Russia dismisses United States media reports about possible Ukraine offensive. So this article talks about how Russia is saying that uh, the United States is being alarmist. The media news outlets are just uh, throwing out all of these lies to aggravate the situation, um, which is constantly what we're seeing. So... Uh, you know, it's the globalists who are uh, arranging and organizing and manufacturing these conflicts. I honestly think it's just so they can start a war, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but that is just another kind of viewpoint, perspective, and alternate view uh, that works against the narrative of the mainstream, lamestream, fake news, legacy, mockingbird media, ladies and gentlemen. And that was the only reason why I was sharing it with you guys, because uh, I found it quite interesting as everyone is uh, is calling this conflict and blaming it on Russia, again, I think they're just being used as the scapegoat, as the boogeyman, as the anti-Kazarian uh, force that they're trying to break down. And, uh, well, that about does that, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for hanging in there with me on that one. That one was rough, wasn't it, ladies and gentlemen? But uh, what are you going to do, ladies and gentlemen? It's, uh, it's, the end of the, it's the end of the year, right? Uh, I think my brain is officially frazzled. And it's ready to go to sleep. <laughs> Thanks for being here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's see. We have uh, in the uh, chat room there, Sean Joe gifting a, a cookie. Another cookie. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year, Mr. C. I am bouncing. All right, sir. I appreciate your presence. Heading over to Zoso's for music. Uh, I, I, I tell him I sent you. <laughs> All right. One, two, three, SKG. Sean Joe, pilled by the rabbit. Mr. WC Cranop. Good to see you guys still hanging out. And uh, I hope you guys have a great and happy new year. 
me see what else we got going on in here before I sign off. Anka Vanka, good evening. 117 pil gold pills. Thank you, Anka. Says, Happy New Year, Mr. C. Much love to you and your family. You are so loved and I have so much respect for you. Love you too, Miss Anka. It's always great to see you. And thank you for the gold pills. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, a Mr. C in the Dark is up for debate tonight, okay? Uh, now, I was planning to be here for a presentation um, through the new year, at least in my time zone. However, however, um, my sister was like, uh, aren't we going to watch the fireworks together? So um, I may schedule something for after midnight Texas time. We'll see about that, ladies and gentlemen, but you guys are more than welcome to join along if I do. We will not talk about any such serious things as uh, geopolitics or anything like that. Uh, if we do do a Mr. C in the Dark tonight, we'll probably do an open lines and, you know, just have some chats and good times with friends. So, uh, all right, guys, I'm gonna let you go now because that was a tough one for a party night, right? What a way to end the year, Mr. C. I'm that teacher. Anyways... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Casual GG, 123 SKG, Curious Cat, Relanon, Pilled by the Rabbit, WC Crane Up, Anka Vanka. And, uh, and uh, um, oh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Re Re Relanon, you're still here, right? Or was that Sean Joe who was bouncing? Sean Joe, PN, all of you guys, thanks for hanging out tonight. Glad you guys were able to sit through that. Uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Have a happy new year. If it's already 2022 where you are, um, I know you're already living your best year. <laughs> so we will see you guys uh, next year, basically. Ladies, I, I love that joke, right? We'll see you next year, guys. Oh, before I forget, let me release the scratch off. I'd say you guys definitely deserve it for that. <laughs> All right, guys. Scratch off is released. Y'all have a great evening, a happy new year um, to, your, to you and your families. Uh, we'll make 2022 the best, regardless of what the headlines say. And, uh, well, we'll see you next year. Till then, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We'll see you next year.